Welcome back to Pixel Project Radio. My name is Rick Firestone. This is part two of our near replicant coverage. And I'm joined once again, thankfully, by the impeccable Dave Jackson from Tales from the Backlog. Dave, how's it going, man? Going good, dude. Thanks for having me back on for part two. Of course. Mandatory. Second playthrough. <laughs> this is our playthrough B. We're going to get the good ending this time. And then we're going to come back for playthrough C, D, and E in the future, right? That's correct. The future and sadness. <laughs> uh, speaking of endings, if you are a new listener, first of all, welcome. This is one of the only times I might suggest you check out a previous episode before listening to this one. Uh, this is our second part of Near Replicants coverage. And uh, I was told once uh, some really great advice for essay writing. You know, when you're writing an essay, giving an essay, speaking an essay, you've got to tell them what you're going to tell them, then you tell them, then you tell them what you told them. So let me tell you what we're going to tell you. <laughs> we're going to start, <laughs> we're going to go all the way through. We ended last time right at the halfway point, roughly at the halfway point. Um, we're going to go all the way through ending A, talking about the plot beats. Endings B through D are really important, but they have less new stuff in the story. So those will be more of an abridged discussion. Then we'll get to ending E. That'll be a bit of both, a little from column A, a little from column B. And we're going to get through the whole thing today, talking about how we feel about it. So if you're a new listener again, welcome. We're glad you're here. Maybe listen to episode one first. And if you're a returning listener, well, you know the deal. So Dave, last time, where did we leave off last time? Didn't we, we left off with that fight in the library where Kaine gets petrified, right? And like right before the time skip. That's right. That's right. So the time skip, we are now, what is it, five years in the future? Yep, five years. Yeah, we're five years in the future. Our protagonist, Nier, now has the amazing ability to wield spears and heavy swords. <laughs> he's, not a, he's not a little anime teen anymore. He is a full-grown anime man. So he can wield manly weapons like spears and great swords and stuff like that. He is. He is. He is a big anime man. If you're playing the original near Gestalt, uh, he is. I mean, he kind of looks like the same age. He just has a sort of diaper on his head uh, because he apparently lost <laughs> one of his eyes. Oh, that's that's how they show um, character development in adults after a time skip is they they wear a diaper on their head. Yeah, yeah, the obligatory eye removal. Happens all the time. <laughs> eye patches. I can't wait till it happens to me. I can't wait to be a pirate. <laughs> but we come back. We are taking care of shades in the village. Shades are still running rampant. Uh, one thing about the time skip that's important to note is our main character, Nier, he is not quite as youthful in spirit anymore, and he's much more cynical and jaded. He uh, His whole reason for existence... I don't remember that French phrase for that, uh, but his whole reason for existence is basically killing shades. That's all he cares about at this point, and finding yeah, Yona. You you definitely get the feeling that we we skipped ahead five years. We know exactly how he spent the last five years, just killing shades. Yes, sir. Uh, last five years, good musical. Uh, anyway, I've got musicals on the brain, man. <laughs> for the past like week, I've just been hammering them uh but anyway this is not my musical podcast uh stage rick instead of stage right do you get it <laughs> we're workshopping here we're workshopping uh, for now we are uh near 
is going to Popola. Popola is sort of our home base, if you'll remember from episode one. Uh, one thing that's a little bit of foreshadowing that's kind of disguised as just little flirty behavior is uh, near comments that Popola looks identical to when mm-hmm. we last saw her five years ago, even though she says, well, you've grown up so much, but she hasn't. She looks exactly the same. It's a little cheeky. You haven't aged a day like that. <laughs> That's one thing as I was putting together these notes, and we'll talk about this more as we get through the next endings, but uh, the writing here, like, yes, the writing is good, especially in the text adventure sections, but the writing, they're really good at throwing in these little one or two liners that are perfectly recontextualized on subsequent playthroughs. It's really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anywho's, when we visit Popola we have a letter. We get a letter from our good friend, Emil. Uh, Emil found some evidence that there is an archival room somewhere in the mansion, uh, specifically created as a long-term storage solution for number six, as well as uh, other, other, other things. Uh, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but we are going to Emil. He says he's found something. When we get there, that's when he shows us the information about the archival room. Sorry, shaking off the cobwebs here, everybody. <laughs> it's a, and he he thinks that because we left off last time, Kaine was petrified. One of our our key party members was petrified, Han Solo style, and Emil thinks that he's got a way to unpetrify Kaine. So obviously, this is we're gonna take a break from killing shades. We're gonna unpetrify Kaine while killing some shades. Exactly so. <laughs> we're going to unpetrify Kaine, we're going to cure Emil's eyesight, and all will be well. Mm-hmm. So we're going down into this new area of the mansion. There's a hidden door in the courtyard, and when we go down, it's sort of this laboratory-esque series of hallways. And this is where the gameplay shifts to a top-down sort of isometric perspective. Um, people have compared this to, what is it, Diablo? Yeah, it, it kind of looks like a, a Diablo type thing. It's just, I mean, it, it's nothing else changes about it, just the camera. So it's just like every other time this game has changed the camera on you before. Yeah, I've not played Diablo, so I'm I, I'm not sure about those comparisons, but it is just a camera shift. The, the mode of play is the same. The only change is uh, we can't let Emil get too far behind us. Which is a little bit annoying, because anytime he does get too far behind, you get halted, and Vice tells you, hey, wait for Emil. <laughs> pretty annoying, because Emil moves pretty slowly. But yeah. he's also our ace in the hole, because remember, like we said last time, he can petrify enemies pretty instantly, and that's a one-hit yeah. KO. This was, uh, this was back before game designers figured out to have your companions run at a similar speed to your character. Uh, it took way too long for this to get worked out i mean i mean have they figured it out i think so i i feel like i've i've played you know um like god of war games you're constantly traveling with people they travel the same speed as you for example i feel like i haven't played one with a a companion or an escort or something that runs way too no that's not true breath of the wild has that never mind i'm wrong (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah that's still a rampant problem it's the worst while we're waiting for a meal and while we're traversing through this area we're finding these documents so one thing that i don't think we mentioned this last time dave is the loading screens in this game generally are going to be diary entries from yona 
Yep. Right. And it's she's writing things like, oh, you know, Nier sent me a letter today. I can't wait for him to come home. Or, oh, I baked this amazing thing today. I can't wait to try it with my brother. Things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but sometimes, and this is random as far as I can tell, you'll get these scientific journal pages that are notes. And at the beginning, we don't have any context. And we're gaining that now. So as we go through this underground facility, we are picking up these notes titled Plan Snow White. Uh, as we're going through two, Emil is clearly in some kind of mental pain or mental distress uh, as he's kind of remembering what transpires. He doesn't really remember his time from uh, from this from this place, but we're we're going to learn about that pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and speaking of remembering it, he does gain back all of these memories upon seeing the perfect weapon number six. So this is a do- Emil's backstory is a doozy. It. It is, and it. This is just the beginning of it. So, you, I, is it? It's here that you find out that weapon number six was his sister, or you had already heard that he had a sister, or something like that. But you, like, they go much deeper than just telling you, like, this is Emil's sister that we're talking about. Later on, you get deep into how sad this actually was, and and it does get pretty sad. Uh, what what we learn is that Emil and his sister, her name was Halua, uh, they were just regular kids, but they got brought into this uh, science facility for experimentation. The goal of all of this was to create the perfect weapon. Uh, and what they did to Emil was they mutilated his eyesight and kind of made him a failsafe for this weapon. Uh, they made Emil, excuse me, Emil number seven, weapon number seven. His, mm-hmm. his purpose is to petrify weapon number six, which became his sister, if it ever got out of control. Yeah. Uh, and when we find it here, it is kind of, I mean, in, I think it's the coolest imagery in the game, really. Which, which imagery uh, in particular, the weapon number six? Yeah, yeah. How when, So when we find it, it's sort of chained and yeah. almost impaled to the wall like it's crucified. Uh, with mm-hmm. chains and metals, um, and it's just a very cool image to see too. And and for for those that have seen Yoko Taro, uh, this is where his iconic mask comes from. Right. Uh, it's that same exact head, uh, and it's on it's on like a humanoid esque body. It doesn't look quite right. Like the body is shaped kind of like a squash. Oh yeah, it looks like a monster for sure. Yeah, uh, and that's Emil's sister. Yeah. And as far as we know, this is the first time he's seen her in years. Yeah. Um, and like living above in the mansion the whole time, I, I was not really quite sure whether Emil knew that this like lab and stuff was down here the whole time. Surely he knew because this is, we find out later that he's familiar with this place, but he's, it seems like a surprise when we find it. So well, he did say that he couldn't remember up until this point. Okay. Yeah. I just assumed that, you know, it was blocked out due to trauma or something. Yep. Fair enough. Yeah. So, like, we we start into it, and um, it's, it, like you said, it's, like, pinned up, chained up, impaled. You start to approach it, and it it's alive, and you're like, ah, this is shit. We have to fight the ultimate weapon now? Yeah. As, and... As it's uh, it's sort of waking up, and as it's waking up and getting off from the wall, Emil is sort of 
speaking to us as he's approaching it. He's uh, making us promise that if it swallows him up, that we kill him slash the, the weapon. And pretty much as soon as he says this, he gets swallowed up. Like it's it's <laughs> right pretty away. it's pretty immediate. <laughs> uh, we have a we have a boss fight here against the ultimate weapon, and uh, I don't know about you, but this was like when this boss fight started. This was unlike the other ones. They're all shades of similar, you know, strategy. This one's different. You're fighting, like they said, the ultimate weapon. So I was like, oh, this is a this is a pretty serious one, and it, it's not, but just a little bit different and there's a gameplay gimmick to it i think yeah you can't use your physical weapons you can only hurt it with magic and the reason being is because well emil's in there we don't we don't know where at inside he is as far as we know he's just like in the belly he's in there somewhere it's will smith getting swallowed by the alien in men in black yeah yeah exactly (laughs) and we got to get him out um it's not a difficult boss fight but uh, when, once we do take it down, they sort of have this moment where they fuse together and we get a little dream sequence uh, of Emil and Halua getting reunited for just a moment. And so like when Emil comes back, he is not Emil as we knew him anymore. And he's, so this is, this was what I expected too, because I played Automata first. So this was what I had seen of Emil. You, you played them, uh, this one first and then automata. So you got this like natural progression, but when Emil comes out, he is like the skeleton with the mask on and like a, a cool cape. Um, not the sweet little boy that we had been traveling with up until now. And it's really sad too, because he's gone through this entire journey. I mean, yes, to unpetrify Kaine, but from ever since we met him, he's been, extremely uncomfortable with his body because of his eyes. And Mm. now he's turned into effectively a monster. Yeah. And he breaks down. He starts losing it. He's sobbing and, you know, we're offering him comfort and we're saying, you know, it doesn't matter. You're still Emil. Um, And he cheers up pretty quickly. I kind of wish that that would have, you know, lasted a little longer. Um, It kind of does. He revisits these feelings later, but for the yeah. time being, he's chipper as can be pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, back to back to being a meal. I guess Nier gives good pep talks. <laughs> uh, one thing of note that I just thought was really funny is, you know, in both versions, Gestalt and Replicant, uh, what Emil says when he looks at you for the first time, because I, obviously he's seeing you for the first time. He yeah. says, you know, you look just like I imagined. You look so cool. And <laughs> when you're playing as Papa Nier with that diaper on your head... I don't know, man. That's kind of funny. <laughs> you look just like I imagined. You look so cool. Yes, Kaine. We are friends now. <laughs> it's, I don't know, man. It's so clear that this was not written for an adult to be playing yeah. this role. But Yep. But now we can unpetrify Kaine. Um, and we do pretty quickly and pretty easily, actually, with Emil's newfound powers. Uh, that's something that we are going to be seeing more of, is Emil has, uh, he's absorbed his sister and now he's got some more of her powers. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we unpetrify her, she basically says the same things to Emil that Nier does. Uh, she's just kind of happy to see him. Everybody's being really nice to this kid, and that's yeah. great. <laughs> yeah. He deserves this, at least. And now we're starting the section of the game that you are going to see a couple of times. 
Yeah, this is where, uh, so if you're not a fan of backtracking, this, uh, well, this whole game might kind of rub you the wrong way, but this is where we start to revisit everything that we've seen before. Mm -hmm. Uh, What happens is we go back and visit Popola because she's our, you know, she's our home base. She (laughs) believes that the Lost Shrine is connected to the Shadow Lord somehow. And now that the, uh, the, the, the ferry pathway, the, the boat pathway is finished, we can take a boat there and, you know, check it out. Because we couldn't go back before. Remember when we first went to the, uh, to the temple in the very beginning, the whole bridge got destroyed. So we right. haven't had a way to get back. Now we can. Now we have a back entrance with the world's longest ladders going up the cliff, the cliff face. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is a steep climb. Uh, Emil and Kaine's back and forths pick up though. I mean, Vice and Kaine's back and forths have been going, Vice and Nier's have been going, but now Emil and Kaine's are going back and forth more often. And it's very sweet. They have a really nice relationship. Yeah. They're, they, they have the most supportive and just incredible friendship in this game. Just the two of them, uh, they pick each other up. They support each other. They talk about like their dreams and stuff together. It's super cute. They kind of tease each other a little bit at certain points, mm-hmm. too. It's pretty funny. It's like one of the only times we see Kaine kind of uh, let her hair down, so to speak. Yep. Uh, but we're going back to where we found Grimoire Vice in the first place. Uh, and when we get there, it turns out one of those original bosses, the first bosses that we fought, those two twins that kind of look like potato heads, mm-hmm. uh, one of them <laughs> is still alive. <laughs> he's alive, and he's pissed. Yep. And he does attack. This is pretty much just the exact same fight that we did before, right? Yep. Yep. Except um, this is, I think this is the first of many times that Kaine gets killed in an unfortunate accident. It is really unfortunate because we're kind of the ones that cause it. <laughs> uh, the boss throws one of his uh, his axes at you and we deflect it, but we deflect it right at Kaine and the handle just pierces her in the chest. Yeah. So she is, she's down and yep. we've got to, we take care of the boss. No big deal. And it looks like Kaine is kind of beyond help. And she, uh, she kind of has this moment. The scrawl starts to take her over. The shade takes her over and she's like, Hey, you got to get back. And then immediately almost she is now a shade. Uh, and we have to fight her. We're fighting Kaine again. This yeah, time as a shadow boss. She's like spider manning around the room and shit. It's a, it's a really different i think it's like one of the first besides the first time you fight kaine but she's just like a regular you know person type enemy she's like flying around the arena she's jumping around it's uh it's a really different kind of boss fight compared to the big enemies you're normally fighting absolutely and one of the first things that i thought of whenever i first fought this is like well this shade has been inside of kaine all this time we've known that from the beginning how much of this power has she had and how much can she access at will, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't think we ever get a concrete answer to that. Um, but, well, I guess we kind of do in an oblique way, but we'll, we'll get there, I suppose. Yeah. Yep. So this this is one of my favorite parts after this. It's one of my favorite, like, dialogue scenes. So you, you, you beat her up. You win the fight. The shade kind of falls back into the background and Kaine gives this speech. Um, it's one of a couple times where one of your party members will say like, I don't want you guys to follow me anymore. Or I don't 
want you to uh, to worry about me. I'm, I need to do this by myself, or you need to stay away from me. And mo- every time they're always like, nope, you're part of the group, et cetera, et cetera. But I think this is the best one. So Kaine says like, you know, I can't control this thing. I'm dangerous. But Emil cuts in and he gives this like impassioned speech about how Emil is only okay with who he is because of Kaine. Kaine is the one who like gives him the confidence to keep living and keep, you know, be a, be as accepting as he can of who he is because Kaine is there and she's dealing with this too. And the voice acting is like really, really, really good. I don't, did you play this in English or Japanese? No, I played this in English. Okay. Yeah. So I did too. The, the English voice acting for Emil here is great. Like really given a hundred percent. This is one of my favorite, um, favorite scenes and it really like hammers home the the relationship between Kaine and Emil. Oh yeah. Yeah, the voice acting is stupendous. Uh from what I've heard in the Japanese version, it's it's just as good, but the English mm-hmm. dub is is stupendous as well. Yeah. Um and remember like we said last time, one of Yokotaro's ambitions going into this project was to make it not quite as dark as Drakengard and use this theme of friendship. One of the themes is friendship. Mm-hmm. And so we get a lot of these soliloquies as we go forward, uh, usually from Emil, actually, but uh, but that's okay. Emil's the best. He's pretty great. Uh, now that we've kind of taken care of Kaine and she's okay, we find this mysterious puzzle stone object. Uh, it's clearly a piece of something. So we take it back to Popola. And she says, uh, I think this is a cipher, and I think this is how you're going to get into Shadow Lord's castle, which is a fascinating reach. Uh, I don't think we would have <laughs> gotten there on our own. Just, uh, just you know, smart old Popola. Mm-hmm. Uh, she writes down the words that she can make out because it's written like in an ancient language. And what we realize is it's the first of five pieces to a larger sort of key. So we're now going to be revisiting each and every area that we've cleared already. I don't think there's a staunch order to this. Like, I think you can do this in kind of flexible order. Well, (laughs) I'm glad you asked because I did this several times. Um, there are a couple of points where they ask you, where do you want to go first? Do you want to go to the junk heap or do you want to go to the forest? And if you go to the junk heap, you will do something like half of the quest and then they'll say, all right, let's go to the forest while we wait. Then we go back to the forest to finish it up. And I assume it's similar if you choose to go to the forest first or something like that. Yeah, there's some stuff built in, like with the jump junk heap for example uh there's a waiting period sort of built in you can't complete it all in one go yep (laughs) so that's what that's there for let's take a stop at the forest of myth first yeah so when we get there the mayor tells us that he hasn't really noticed anything strange but he has felt a weird presence over near this divine tree it's this big tree in the middle of their village uh we ask you know did you investigate it and they're like well no we're we're not supposed (laughs) to go near it And when we ask them why, they're like, you know, actually, I don't know. Uh, So that doesn't stop us. We go near it. Yeah. 
and this tree is able to talk to you. And this this is a really fascinating part of the game. Yeah. This is a um, another text adventure section, just like the first time uh, that we were... I think the first text adventure was the first time we were here, right? Or is this the first one? No, it, we were here before. Right. So, yeah. And again, really interesting writing. I, I really enjoyed reading these. Uh, this one was a little bit less fun than the one before, I think, because it's a it's a puzzle where there it's not really a puzzle, it's a quiz. And I had a really hard time figuring out what I needed to memorize, and they switch it up. So if you get the question wrong the first time, such as what color eyes were the the did the girl have um You'll be like, oh, it was green. And then you start over and you pick green. You skip through the dialogue, of course, because uh, you've already read it. And then you get to the end. The answer is not green this time. It's a different color. So they randomize it. So you have to pay attention every time. There's three questions. And um, I ended up reading this about five times trying to beat it. There's three questions for the three memories. It's not going to yeah. be three per memory, which is nice. And another nice thing, too, is that it does randomize the answers, but it's always the same question. Right. So the first one, it's always the color of the eyes. The second one, it's always uh, the number of comrades, mm-hmm. etc. And each of and these memories is themed after one word, and it's usually an emotion, like yeah. loss. Um, I don't remember the first one. Envy is another one. So we're, we're seeing these this trees memories essentially what's happening is this tree is gathering and storing memories from this village and from all over uh we don't know why quite yet but uh we we learn that towards the end of uh or towards the beginning of ending e excuse me but mm-hmm. for some reason it's been losing all of these memories nobody knows why uh except for you right now because what what you learn is that a shade has somehow found itself inside of this tree and it's eating the memories mm-hmm. which is really interesting we don't get to see this it's it's all the text adventure but of course near uh of course near kills it because it's a shade <laughs> but what's what's super interesting about this is the shade is able to speak to near and it asks him questions similar to what the tree was asking uh, and we can hear the shade's thoughts as well well we can read the shade's thoughts and it has this intense desire to touch near, to make contact with him. And when it does, the tree itself begins to feel what's described as the searing hot uh, emotion, like the beginning of a development of a soul after centuries of just being a tree. Uh, and this is maybe the first, like, I mean, it's certainly not the first, but this is a huge hint that shades and near, shades and people, uh, are connected in some way. Mm-hmm. I didn't catch this my first time because uh, I was very focused on if there were going to be more quiz questions. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. I think there is one in here. the The color of envy, yeah, I think is is the question. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's it's 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 so fascinating because we're left with so many questions, and Yoko Taro intentionally does this thing where he will hide bits of lore in other publications in short stories in other games and etc. So a lot of this we actually don't get directly in the game. It doesn't necessarily hinder the story experience, uh, but w- w- we could talk about that more whenever we get towards the end 
uh, where all of this starts to come together. Yeah, no, I definitely feel like this was a cohesive and, uh, you know, well-wrapped up story, even with just staying within the game. It's cohesive for sure. It's just, it's so much more satisfying to me knowing all of uh, what's going on behind the scenes and why things Mm -hmm. are the way they were. But, and we get most of that to be fair, but for now, uh, we're going to go off to the junk heap. We took care of the tree. We got the fragment here, uh, the, the stone fragment puzzle piece. So now we're off to the junk heap. I don't know about you, but this is, this is my least favorite area, I think. And I think it's because you have to go back so often. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, this area was cool the first, like, five times I went there, but then I had to go there 15 more times and clear out that dungeon so many times that by the end I was like, you know, if I have to go back to the junk heap and if I have to go back in the basement and do that minecart section again, I'm going to scream. So Yeah, the minecart section especially, it, it's such a pacing killer. I, I don't like it at all. Yeah, well, the the dungeon design in there is just, you know, you walk into a room, the doors lock, there's a bunch of enemies that come out, um, they come out really slowly, they're invincible for a couple seconds after they appear, it's just a pain. So, it's example one of a hundred of things that are kind of a pain. Mm-hmm. And, li- and like you had mentioned, we're, we're coming back here a lot for story reasons and also for necessary side quest reasons yeah that we'll talk about soon uh but we're going back there right now and we get this flashback of jacob and gideon the two brothers that we met before in the junk heap they're looking for scraps because you know they do a repair and forage business and this enormous piece of like metal sheeting or uh scaffolding falls and jacob sees this and he pushes gideon out of the way the younger brother and this kills jacob the older brother in the process and uh, what what I like a lot about this is it's framed in such a way that Gideon tries to save him, but it doesn't show Jacob. It shows, like, Jacob's POV, kind of. Um, we see Gideon pulling, and we hear this pop, and then he just stops and screams. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's pretty clear that he, that he rips his arm off. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty brutal. <laughs> it's really brutal. And his, um, he snaps after this, like... Near has handled his, you know, tragedy in his life by internalizing all this anger. And Gideon is just screaming the rest of the time about how much he hates machines and how, you know, if anything good ever happens to him, he's going to use it so he can kill more machines. He's basically us, but with machines instead of shades. Pretty much, yeah. The reason for that is because, you know, uh, the mom got murdered earlier. Right. Yeah. Uh, five years ago. Oh, and yeah. when Jacob died in the aftermath of the scaffolding falling, uh, Gideon sees a machine with a shade piloting it. So he doesn't like machines. And this gets incredibly heavy handed. It's mm-hmm. it's almost funny how really on the nose it is. Yeah. <laughs> Thinking of what happens, I suppose we'll get there. But after you beat the boss of this area, it's. Like you said, kind of funny. It, man, it really is. It's it's not subtle at all. It's, I I don't want to call it objectively bad, but it, it's probably some of the weaker writing in here. I I know why they do it. They're really trying to reinforce a specific recontextualization, but it just falls flat for me because it's so un. It, it's 
it's just so uh hyperbolic well, and exaggerated. Yeah, the the thing that the thing that's going to make this a little bit more interesting a little bit later on doesn't need Gideon for us to get it. We get it just from right. what we're doing. So, yeah. Um so back into the junk heap. We're going to clear out this dungeon again. Yeah, and we're we're gathering materials this time. Uh, Gideon says he's going to make us this really powerful sword, uh, but we need to get him the materials in exchange for that. And we do. And he says, you know, ah, this is going to take this is going to take a while. Why don't you go off and you know do other things? I'll send you a letter when it's done. So we say okay. We go back to Popola, and she suggests going to the Airy again. Uh, she thinks that, uh, or excuse me, she had heard that they believe they have a key to this puzzle. And they also have formed a little marketplace. They're opening themselves up to the world after having closed themselves off forever. Uh, Vice immediately says, hey, this is a little suspicious. And Popola agrees, but Nier doesn't care. He just wants to kill Shades. So I guess uh, what Nier says goes. Yep. So that's where we're going now. Uh, and Popola is thrilled to hear this. She goes, oh, okay, go get him. And we go. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, you know, I, this never struck me as odd uh, because we have already changed one, uh, one area's entire culture before. So why, why, to me, this was like, oh, interesting. They're, they're breaking their isolation. Well, Facade also changed all their rules earlier. So why not? Yeah, uh, yeah. I suppose so. The, the whole reason that they did is because of Nier's uh, meddling. Well, because Nier helped them out. Right. Uh, they don't like Nier over here. So I I don't know. I saw this as more suspicious just because of their general attitude. And yeah. we, we've, we come to find that Vice was right. Uh, this is suspicious. Because when we get there, the village chief is muttering incessantly, saying that everything is over, we're all doomed, and etc. So we say... That's cool, man, but uh, what about that letter? <laughs> and he's he doesn't know what we're talking about. He didn't write the letter. So our, our warning flags are going off, but rather than leave, we go and check out the marketplace because there there is one now. There's a, mm-hmm. there's a bustling marketplace in one of the center pillars. Yeah, a bunch of people out there with all their... It's like a farmer's market. They got all their stands and stuff, and you can shop uh, for a while. It only continues once you go talk to the uh, like the guard that's out there yeah i even think there's i don't know if it's a weapon that's only found here but there's definitely a weapon that you need that can be bought here yeah i just got in the habit like once i knew that i needed to collect weapons of checking every weapon shop and buying all their weapons as soon as possible it's a good uh it's a good strategy for this one for sure when we do talk to that guard that you mentioned, Dave, uh, he says that he's heard about us. He's like, oh, you're with Kaine. Like, oh, we've heard about you. You're a, you're the shade hunter. And of course, Nier can't resist. He's like, yeah, I'm going to kill every, I'm going to kill every fucking shade. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, he just, you can't, you can't stop him. You, you get him on shades and he's just going to talk no matter who's mm-hmm. around. And, and now he done messed up because what this triggers is this, emotional fear response in this person that just he's he sort of gets stuck in a loop like saying every shade every one every one ever just over and over again 
Mm-hmm. And this is where the whole facade breaks. And he, along with several of the other people in the marketplace, they turn into shades. Right. And I think so, I think this is definitively the first time that we've ever seen a shade take a human form. Right. Yeah. De- it's definitely the first time. Um, and so this was a this was a trap. Admiral Akbar wasn't here to warn us, and we got we got got. It's true. <laughs> it's true. We did. Some villagers are still human, though. That's important. Um, and they are actively blaming us as we're running around killing the shades. They're saying, you know, this is this is all your fault. You know, you you brought this here. Um, and this this is really tying back into that theme of perspective that we were talking about on the last episode. Yeah. I mean, that's that's going to get really strong as we continue through here. Yeah. Uh, and during this thing, um, it's it's like a it's kind of like chaos. So you're trying to chase down these shades, but there's also humans running around. And so like I was trying not to hurt the humans, trying to kill the shades. And um, I think that it's during this part, Emil says something to the effect, the effect of like, you know, I think these are humans or something like that. And Vice is like, no, they're shades. Let's kill them all. More or less, yeah. Um, Emil definitely calls out that there are humans there. Um, and w- we see Kaine fighting with one, in fact. We see her fighting a woman with, with swords. Yeah. And this woman's younger <laughs> brother is behind her, and he's screaming, he's crying. And Kaine's like, no, she is a shade. And then she just cuts her down, uh, which obviously makes the little brother freak out. Mm-hmm. He's like, you're the monsters, this is your fault. Uh, but his sister does then turn into a shade. Uh, and this is now the second time this shade is going to surprise Kaine and give a seemingly lethal blow to her. So once right. again, she is down for the count. Right, and she's down for the rest of this sequence here. And this is, um, in my game, well, probably forever, I guess following the chronology in this one too, the second time that Kaine's died in the last three hours or so. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very weird because I... I, I would venture to say that she's clearly more powerful than than Nier, but she somehow is always on on the wrong end of a sword. Yep. This is actually a really cool boss fight. I thought, um, at least in its conception, in the middle of the square, this like huge swath of shades appears. It's just this black hole, and it's sucking up the villagers for power. Uh, Emil is going to help us fight it, which is pretty cool. We get to finally see his powers on display. Uh, and it's really strong. Yep. But he loses control pretty quickly. Uh, as, as we're nearing the end of this fight, uh, he just he can't control it anymore. Uh, the ultimate weapon is being deployed, is what Vice says. And uh, Emil just radiates this intense, strong nuclear blast. It's, it's like a bomb going off. Yeah. And it wipes out not only the boss, but the entire Aerie is destroyed when like the dust settles and everything you know like the area had been lined on either side with all of these boardwalks and these iron homes kind of like built up into the side of the cliffs and they had a a wooden maze at one end of the area for some reason all of that is destroyed it's all fallen down into the canyon now there's nothing there yeah i i couldn't believe it i mean emil is the one person that is overly concerned for the well-being of others 
and Mm -hmm. he wipes out an entire village. Uh, And it's not even his fault. It's the result of his new horrific body that he also hates. Um, So he's having a tough time coping with this. Yeah. Uh, uh, And Nier, this is almost, it's almost funny if it weren't so sad. Nier is just like, we can't look back. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, Emil is like, he's uh, he's like pounding the ground, like crying, like loudly sobbing because of what he did. And uh, it's it's this, uh, you have like a brief moment where you're not sure who's gonna say something, but yeah, it's it's like, all right, we got the third key. It's time to move on. <laughs> exactly. And I keep calling it funny and we're laughing about it, but this uh, they, they're writing near this way on purpose. Like it's all to a point. There, there's yeah. a reason that they're doing this near is singularly focused yeah. on He's... nothing but killing shades and saving Yona in yeah. that order at this point, I would, mm-hmm. I would argue. Yeah. I mean, saving Yona is kind of like going to be the result of the goal, I guess, you know, the goal is to find the shadow Lord and we're going to kill a bunch of shades along the way. And we think Yona's there, but we're definitely going to go kill the shadow Lord. So like, it's not any more, it's not talking to Popola about intel on where Yona is. It's intel on where the Shadow Lord is because we're going to go kick his ass. Right, exactly. And I, I, I love how it's contrasted with with Emil too. It, it's such a distinct contrast and it, it makes for a great payoff, I think. But unfortunately, we don't get that for a while because we've got to go back to the junkie. Yep. We get that letter. Our sword is done. And of course, Gideon has a favor for us. He wants us to avenge Jacob and go kill all of the robots. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but like, so you get this sword. It's supposed to be like this super badass sword, right? You get the sword and it's like not as good as, it's probably not as good as the sword you were using or the weapon that you were using. It's a pretty consistent thing throughout the game where you find a new weapon and it's the same or less powerful than the one you were using. So cool. I have a new weapon, but not using it. Yeah. I don't, uh, I don't really think that the weapon variety in this game is very good. I mean, they're all very neat looking and they've got backstories attached to them, which is yeah. kind of cool, but functionally in combat, I don't know. I, there's just not a whole lot of variety. It's kind of a bummer. And I think when we get this one too, isn't it like, a third of it and we have to get the rest like build the rest later or did that already happen did he give us the third and then he gave it he gave us the finished product here you can okay. upgrade it but he gave you the finished product gotcha yeah the, okay. the new what the new weapons give you um new not each individual weapon but each category has unique animations so at least that's cool if you want to because you're going to be fighting a lot you're going to do the same like three or five hit combo thousands of times throughout the game so switching up the animations is helpful sometimes oh absolutely um so we're going into the junk heap there is indeed a shade down there and he's riding slash piloting this uh this humanoid shaped robot and it leads to a boss battle Mm -hmm. the robot is talking the whole time about completing his mission um i also think this is maybe the first time that we hear like in this fight kine sort of speaking out loud to herself, mm-hmm. uh, directed at nobody in particular. 
which is, I mean, it's not really foreshadowing because we know that she's possessed by a shade. We just, we don't know that she could speak to shades. That's kind of a spoiler, but not really. You could put it together pretty easily. Well, yeah, I mean, this seems to me like Kaine is talking to the shade half of her. Like, now that we know that, like, at the beginning of the game, I thought she was like, you know, half human, half shade. Like, one of her parents was a human, the other one was a shade. And so she comes out this, you know, um, half human, half shade lady. Now she's, but we find that that's not the case. It's actually like a, a possession. So there's a different entity in her. And I thought she's just talking to that. There's really nothing else it could be, right? Yeah. But that's that's happening now. Uh, this boss battle has two different phases. Uh, once you kind of beat up the robot a little bit, he crafts wings onto himself, and it starts trying to escape, uh, saying that he he's talking about protecting something and escaping, etc. Uh, but we do eventually take that down. The only tricky part with this one is dodging the falling debris. Uh, I, I found it a little tricky, I don't know, but um, otherwise it's a pretty standard boss battle. Yeah, this is um, not a difficult game. There's only one fight in the entire game that I thought was like the least bit difficult. So it's, it's, they're pretty basic, but the boss fights are usually enough of a spectacle to be interesting at least. Yeah. One, and once we, uh, once we destroy the robot, we destroy the shade too. So we kill them both. This is where Gideon comes in and he starts screaming about how much he hates machines. He's kicking the downed robot. Yeah. It's really over the top. That's that's the part I was talking about earlier where it was like we didn't need him to come in and start screaming and kicking the robot like we we know it's really silly. Uh one thing I like about this is when you the whole time like the shade is your target. You don't really give a shit about the robot. You have to beat the robot to get to the shade because you kill shades. That's what we do. And so when you do and the shade is finally like reachable down on the ground Nier like runs over and you fuck the shade up. You kill mm-hmm. it savagely. Yeah, and we're going to revisit this again. So yep. don't worry. <laughs> we're not done with the junk keep yet. Nope. Uh, for now, actually, we're doing more errands for Popola. We go back to Popola. We're doing some more errands. Uh, and it takes us to a ship shipwreck in Seafront. This is new and unique to Replicant. This was not in the original. Mm-hmm. It is a, uh, it's a sort of adaptation of a story that is in Grimoire Near, which is sort of the source book slash lore book for this universe that provides actually a lot of uh, context we don't get in the game. Yeah. So this is that's where this is from. We are the yeah. reason that we're there is because uh, the Red Bagman is missing. We didn't talk about him a whole lot last time uh, because he's annoying. He's really annoying. Uh, but he is a uh, he's the ferryman. He drives the boat. And him and his wife are constantly fighting. It's uh, it's it's kind of funny, actually. I thought it was the postman who was missing. Well, he's also missing. Oh, they're both missing. They're, bo- <laughs> okay. they're both missing, yeah. Everyone's missing. Um, and also a little girl is missing. I don't remember who the little girl is related to, uh, but we, we hear that a girl has gone missing, too. Mm-hmm. So everybody's missing. So we yeah. go to the shipwreck. This, um, this shipwreck is another one of these, like... You know, when you think about it, it's not that different from other stuff, but they switch up the camera view. They give you some slight puzzling to do 
as you make your way through this kind of haunted, uh, decrepit, like shipwreck, like you fall through the floor a couple of times. Um, it's, it's not as horror as Emile's house was in the first part, but it's still a little bit spooky because you definitely get the feeling that this is like a ghost ship and you're going to see something that, um, you don't want to see. I was scared while playing this. Uh, I wasn't scared while playing Emile's uh, house, but this part, I was like, oh, this is um, this is the scariest thing in this game. Well, you're notably not a horror guy, right? I'm not. So just, just throwing <laughs> that out there. I This is, people will be like, you know, Dave says he doesn't like horror games. I bet he, you know, he's not a, as much of a baby as he says he is. I was scared during the shipwreck part. <laughs> well, I, I don't blame you, man, because it shifts the perspective again. The camera, it's now a sort of side scroller ish yeah. kind of. Um, and it's, it's really dark. There are ghosts in here. We see what we think to be a ghost and we hear what we think to be ghosts. Um, and it, it is scary. Another thing to note just super quick too, is that Kaine and Emil were already there. Like they usually don't come into town, uh, but they were there already. And Kaine, Kaine is like, yeah, there is something in that ship. Like I could yeah. feel it. I could tell. Mm-hmm. And it, it's quiet in there and there's a lot of like sudden noises and stuff, you know, not jump scare jump scares but like you'll be walking and you'll hear a crash from the floor above you and stuff like that there's a lot of uh, nice little world building elements in here too so like you could learn that this used to be a slaver ship like people mm-hmm. selling slaves uh they tortured the slaves you get uh little notes as to what the crew members ate you could learn like they got to request uh you know no peppers extra rice things like that Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's really nice. I like the world building touches. It's cool. And you also find these notes around there that have this yes. like terrible, spooky handwriting on them, which to me was like, um, there's something really wrong with the crew. Like the crew has lost their minds and they've lost the ability to write. Basically they write like small children do or so, like something like that which we find out the reason for it, but that's what I thought as while I was going through here. And it looks like a ghost ship. So you, yeah, you know, that's a really reasonable guess. You've split up from Kaine and Emil at this point, by the way, uh, they're, they've <laughs> gone out just around a different way. Mm-hmm. Vice is also scared as you're going through here. He's, he's a little bit of a fraidy cat. Yeah. <laughs> I like pretty this. Funny. It's a cool side to his characterization, how he's, he's such a, an arrogant prick most of the time, but he's very scared of this ship. It's pretty good. He gets spooked because we hear this singing uh, coming through this like voice pipe uh, that they would use to communicate. It's like those uh, playground contraptions that used to have like an elementary school. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And we can hear singing. It's uh, up until this point, I don't think we've talked about this. It's clearly a shade singing because shades in this game, I, maybe we did talk about it actually, but they they make these noises whenever they're defeated mm-hmm. or just existing, and it's clear it's communication. It just sounds very garbled, uh, and that's what we're hearing here. So we're we're kind of starting to put two and two together. Like there's a shade somewhere. That's also why Kaine is keen to it. Um, we're also finding apples just <laughs> just everywhere, which yeah. uh, is from the Red Bag Man. He is find, a big fan of apples. You find a comical number of apples. Like it is a like, lot of apples. 
one of the big fights that the that couple had was that the red bag man ate his wife's apples and he ate like 10 of them and then she like <laughs> she left here i thought i enjoy apples because i eat one every single day i got nothing on the red bag man he's afraid of doctors i think that's the problem yeah or maybe you it's don't... just scurvy <laughs> that's what the shades are they're doctors and he's he's eating apples to keep them away what better way <laughs> so um, you you kind of follow this like apple trail down into the ship, and then you fall through the floor because it's a it's a crumbling ship, and it is uh, pitch black down there. And I was spooked because I don't like being in pitch black rooms. You grab your light, and of course, when the light comes on, there is a pile of mutilated bodies down there. There's blood everywhere, um, and you find the the red bag man. Yep, he is one of the casualties. We don't know what happened as of right now. Mm-hmm. But we know we're close now. There's there's blood everywhere. In the next room, we're able to kind of get up to the top floor uh, where Kaine says the presence is. Uh, it's near there. Uh, we see this little ghost girl that we saw at the start. That's what kind of started all of this. We see her at the very beginning. That's what spooks Vice. Uh, and we see her here. And while we're all in this room, the postman that's been missing, he comes in. He says he's been coming here a lot. Uh, He found this girl here, shipwrecked, um, and he's just been kind of stopping by making sure that she's okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a really awkward bit where he asks Kaine for help because Uh, the girl is bleeding. Yeah. Uh, And he's like, what do I do, Uh, you know, at that time of the month? And then he's just like, oh, you know, no, no, I'm so, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, very weird to put in there. Yep. They uh they do kind of come back to that later, but it's when you see it this time you're like I uh you could have cut this out, I think. Did this didn't need to be here. <laughs> yeah, it was uh it, it it was I don't know, it it was very strange. But um Kaine immediately knows like sh- she says stay back, stay away from this girl. She is a shade. And no sooner does she say that, this girl shoots tentacles just out of her back, destroying the ship. The postman falls through the floor, and she chases right after him. Uh, So we're after them. Uh, We have to do some quasi-platforming to get out of the ship. There's tentacles popping in to get in our way. Mm -hmm. Uh, We get onto the ship's deck, and it's a bright and sunny day. It's the beach. Uh, This world doesn't have a nighttime. That's important to note. So it's always sunny. We just assume that the shade won't come after us because sun and shade don't mix. Uh, I don't know if we mentioned that in the first one, but shades can't go in the sun. I never noticed that because there are shades out in broad daylight all the time. There are, but when they're in the daylight, they start to like smoke and steam. And if they're in there long enough, they will die. Huh. I never noticed. It takes a little bit, but it, it does happen. It's pretty neat. Well, Um, this shade is not like the other shades because this is not only is this a shade, this is the biggest shade in the entire game. It is mm -hmm. like a sea monster shade and you have, um, you have a boss fight against it and it's really, you know, simple boss fight mechanically, but the scale of it is so cool because it's so big and there's a part on the ship and then there's a part when you're down on the beach and again, it's like, 
The scale of it is great. There's a part, um, if you do it correctly, you can like run up its tentacles and go like hit her, you know, hit the, the little girl shade that's like being puppeted, I feel like, uh, up at like the head area. I don't remember if that's exclusive to route C and D, but it might you, can, you can do that. Yeah. Um, but because anyway, what this is, it's a yeah. giant Kraken-like thing, and this girl is a part of it at the very top. She's like kind of morphing out of it. Um, so this is this is her. This is who this little girl named Louise is. Mm-hmm. When we're on the beach, we're fighting it. The postman kind of wanders, <laughs> wanders in, just bumbling over, uh, and Kaine takes him hostage because she knows that the shade cares for him. And she's like, you know, I've got this guy. I'm going to kill him. Let him go. This doesn't happen, though. What does happen is the shade pretty much just wipes us out with one attack. It's pretty incredible. Mm -hmm. And it looks like we've lost because nobody has the strength to fight. This thing is dominating us. But as she's about to finish us off, the postman just walks up to her with this wooden plank and starts beating her tentacles he can't do anything because, I mean, he's just a normal dude. Uh, but what he's saying is uh, the whole time he's saying things like, you know, we could never be together. You disgust me. And this clearly just makes the shade give up. And while it's distracted, Nier is able to shoot one final magic shot at its head, finishes it off. Uh, that that completely demolishes it uh we get one last shot of the girl louise looking out into the sunset as she and the kraken just kind of dissolves and then we go back to the town and we have to tell the red bag lady that her husband is dead and by now we're very familiar with this uh, relationship these two are like famous throughout the towns for being this uh couple who's always like shouting at each other making a big scene um, but they're through a couple of side quests. You can tell that they like they really do like really love each other, but they're just famous for their blowups. <laughs> so you have to go break the news to her, and she is uh, distraught. It's another instance of the voice acting being pretty good. Yeah. Yep. For for a character who doesn't have that many lines, uh, the yeah the red bag lady. Yeah, it's really nice. Um, she knows what happens even if you try to lie to her, too. So. Uh, Kaine also kind of shrugs it off whenever we ask her, like, hey, how did you know that? Like, how did you know the shade felt that way? She's like, oh, just a hunch. Don't worry. This is um, <laughs> something to put a pin in for later. This yes. uh, Kaine's what she knows and what she doesn't know. So, of course, we're going back to Popola. Uh, she's having a tough time decoding one of the portions of the key. Mm-hmm. So we go home and we check our mailbox and we find that we've got a wedding invitation. As per rule number 25,656, we are invited to the royal facade wedding. And it's it's this huge thing about the <laughs> rules. And then at the very end, at the very bottom, it's like, P.S. Hey, guys, it's me. Uh, yeah. Sorry about all that. You should come to the wedding. <laughs> uh, I was just laughing there because I remembered uh, when you get there, you go to facade for the wedding. You go into the, the king's palace 
and you talk to Emil and he's he's like, I'm so excited. I love weddings. I can't sleep for days before a wedding because he's so excited. And it's very cute to me. Number one, when has Emil ever gone to a wedding before? Uh, but number two, the fact that he's so excited that he can't sleep is very cute. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's very sweet. Um, he's He has a line here that says like, you know, I wish I could be the bride. And, you know, Vice is like, oh, don't worry. Like, you'll find yourself a bride one day. And he's like, oh, um, yeah, okay. Uh, this this is confirmed by Yoko Taro. So this is um, <clears throat> this is Emil. Not he's not coming out, but Emil is gay, and this this has been confirmed. Mm-hmm. A lot of weirdos on the internet didn't like that at first. What are you gonna as, do? It's as weirdos do. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, the king, it turns out, is marrying Fira. That is who Emil wishes he could be. Kaine doesn't really feel welcome here. Emil, like we said, super excited. And the wedding day comes, and everybody's really happy. It's a huge ceremony. Everybody's dancing. It's in the sun. Great. But yeah. this is, uh, as long as Yoko Taro has something to say about it, not for long. Yep. The um, You got a couple of, like, cutscenes of a, a wolf, but it's, like, stronger than the regular wolves. And in a cutscene here during the celebrating, the wolves attack facade there's it's actually a a person runs in one of the guards and is you know in their dying breath like the wolves the wolves and then they die and there's a, a cutscene of the wolves attacking and the big one just comes in and just uh, grabs fira in its mouth and throws her against the wall and she's you know laying there dying before long yeah we run into a bunch of wolves on the way here and i think one of our party members comments on it so you could you could see this is coming um maybe not to the degree that it happens but you know that they're going to be here and you know they're going to cause problems mm-hmm. uh like you said they maul fira um and they retreat after not too long after not too much of a fight um but fira does die here she she gives her last words of encouragement uh to the king and sort of dies in his arms and he, right there he swears vengeance on the wolves he's like you know that's it this evening tonight we're going to their lair. They all die. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's taken the near path. <laughs> Everyone, him, the dude at the junk heap, near. Everyone's out for vengeance. And this gets recontextualized a little further too in uh, the next playthrough. In playthrough, I think it's B. I don't think it's C or D. Uh, we could talk about that when we get there. But yeah, we'll we'll get there. Yep. The battle with so. wolves. It's basically just a lot of wolves. I mean, yep. they don't do anything new. It's just it's, a lot of them. It's not super interesting. There's just 25 of them at, at a time and you can, they, uh, they die quicker than regular wolves out in the desert. You can like shoot them twice with the magic blast, like the rapid fire one and they'll die. So it's basically just and like the lock on shifts automatically after you kill one. So it's mm-hmm. basically just hold down the, the rapid fire magic button it will be over soon. The big one will jump down. You have to fight the big one, but it's it's pretty easy. The big one is the one that's possessed by a shade, and you can yeah. see it, you could see it all over its body. Yeah, but uh, we don't end up killing the big one. Uh, the king does. He there's a scene where he's facing off with it, and he just runs forward and impales it with his spear. Yep, and it die it dies on the spot. Mm-hmm. 
so the king got what he wanted. I mean, he avenged Fira in a way. We got our piece of the puzzle. As far as we're concerned at this moment, everything is terrific. Uh-huh. Off to fight the Shadow Lord. Yeah, at this point, we've got all of our pieces. Uh, Vice is still insisting that this all feels too easy, and Nier just says, shut up, man. <laughs> it's, it's really good. Like, I know they're writing Nier like that on purpose, but it's so funny because if Nier would just stop for one second and think about it, he would realize that everybody is right. He's yeah. just, he's too blind. Uh, and that's his character flaw. You know? Yeah, this is five years in the making. He spent five years killing shades, thinking about killing the Shadow Lord. He's probably not thinking about anything else. He is all out of bubblegum, so he's only got one <laughs> other option. Yes. We're back to the first place we found Vice again. But this time we can move beyond the doors because we've got that key. The inside area here sort of resembles like the bone structure of a church. Like if you just, if you bombed a church and only the scaffolding remained, it looks Mm -hmm. like that. Uh, But there's also nature and stuff growing in here. There's a weird bird puzzle. It's a word puzzle. And I want to get your take on this. I know why the, I know what the puzzle is getting at. I just don't know why they're here. Yeah. Like just protecting the, what's inside. I think so. It's it's a way for them to make sure that only the worthy can come in um, and only the ones who know, you know, what's really going on or something like that. Now, that being said, I got all these questions right, even though I don't think I ever learned them somewhere. Well, and that's the thing is I don't think you learn all of these definitively in this playthrough. So these birds, you have to talk to the birds to get into the next chamber, and they ask you three questions. They, the first one, why did humans disappear from the world? That one's pretty easy because of a black disease. You get two, uh, two choices for each of these. Mm-hmm. That one's easy. How can humans extend their lives? Question two, answer, by separating body from soul. We can piece that together if we read the documents we find from the lab like it's not we're not directly told it but we can we can infer it the one that i never got was question three which is what is the destination of souls answer they're placed in their corresponding shells yeah that i don't i don't know that we learned that by this point honestly dude i did not reference any documents i just picked the answer that sounded the coolest and it was right all three <laughs> times you can and you can try as many times as you want too. like i don't there's not a penalty i don't think yeah but this is um and you know i didn't really even think too hard about these because i didn't know what was coming i just was like ah yes humans extend their lives by separating the body from the soul of course that's how immortality works or something like that so well, something like that indeed, because we're going to find exactly <laughs> what something like that is mm-hmm. in this next room. Because when we get in here, and this is uh, this is my favorite part of the game by far, I think. When we get here, inside is Devola and Popola. Huge shocker. Yeah, huge shock. Going through. And again, I played Automata first, so I knew them from their role in that game and uh, how do I phrase this? What their station is in that game. So then to see them here trying to stop you on your mission is was a big shock to me. 
And it, it immediately, I was like, okay, I know how this ends. Now I'm in the middle part. Finally, I'm in the middle part. And I get to find out why they are the way they are in the next game. It's like uh, it's like when all of us as kids saw um, Star Wars Episode Three for the first time. Yeah, yeah. And got like, we knew what happened before. We knew where it, the story goes. And now everything is just kind of bridged together. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's an exciting story setup for me personally. Yeah. I like that kind of thing. Yeah, it's cool. And like you and the party are like, oh, sweet, Devola, Popola, what are you doing here? Come to help out? And they're like, no, we need you to turn around and leave. <laughs> they're very casual. They're like, uh, well, I don't suppose you'd like to just go home now. Yeah. Uh, you've, uh, but this... you've, you've come all this way. Um, guess we're doing this, huh? Yeah. The second that we start to ask questions, though, that's when they're like, no, we're we're asking now. You don't get to talk. Mm-hmm. Um, and they kind of lay everything out on the line for you. They raise their weapons whenever you say, you know, we're not we're not going home. We're finding Yona. Uh, they say this fate was predetermined. We were hoping to put it off another hundred years or so until the next generation came along. Uh, and during the fight, they also call Vice a traitor. Yeah. A- as they're stealing his powers from him. Which, I mean, it- it's not really stealing because they they explain these came from us in the first place. Like, we're just letting, we were just letting you borrow part of it. Like, yeah. this is like, ours. They yell at him with contempt. Like, they hate Vice. Mm-hmm. And, and if, if you're an astute player slash podcast listener, you might remember Vice was called a traitor before by Grimoire Noir. Mm-hmm. So now we, we really don't know what's going on, and neither does he, because he's suddenly really unstable and sort of glitchy. Like he's skipping like a tape recorder when he's trying to talk. Mm-hmm. This is, we've heard this once before in the very beginning when Vice first gets his powers. I don't know if that was intentional. I don't know if there's a direct link, but that's the only time we've heard this previously. Hmm. Um, we do fight Devil and Popola, though. Um, they're, they basically just do magic attacks and teleport through the floor. It's not too bad. Uh, you don't want to plow through them too. You don't want to plow through them too quickly because uh, they're talking the whole time, and you know it's at the very least it's it's world building a little bit. But once we're done with them, they kind of stop and they're like, "All right, like you've got to face the truth for yourself. Like we don't have the answers for you." go ahead and then they fly away like actually like actually fly away that that part was kind of funny to me yeah. but uh this next section well well I said this section is my favorite in the game that and then the next section is this middle part I I don't like at all with the boar <laughs> and stuff yes dude you're fighting your way up through the rest of this tower uh through various shades but mainly through this boar that just keeps coming back there's also a really cool thing here with uh with these sort of ghostly figures dancing yeah uh, and they turn into shades the music there is a waltz version of a previous theme in the game and i cannot for the life of me remember it i did not write it down i i know it to hear it I, but it, it is a previous theme and as they turn into shades they uh the theme becomes dissonant and ugly it's very cool um, yeah it's the only cool part about this to me because I hate fighting this boar. <laughs> well, fighting the boar sucks, but I did think the the contrast of like what you expected behind the door 
you know, once you got past Evla and Popola versus what you got, which is this ballroom, people dancing and stuff like that. That was cool. I, I liked that kind of bit of the unexpected. Um, and I hope that everyone else thinks it's cool because you're going to see it again a couple times. It is cool. It is yeah. cool. I just, the boar is annoying because he keeps coming back and he does the same move over and over. It's yeah. the same thing. Takes a long time to kill. Not difficult, just takes a long time. Again, play this game on easy if you're listening to this and you want to go play it. Yeah, 100%. Uh, and you can switch difficulties, I think, at the title screen too. Yep. So no worries about starting a new file. Um, mm-hmm. After fighting the boar for like the sixth time, somehow the king of facade with his men show up. Not sure I don't how. know how. No. Nope. <laughs> right? There's one way into this chamber. <laughs> and we came we came straight here from facade. How something, how did they get here? Something tells me they're not going to solve the bird bath puzzle to get into the castle. <laughs> well, that too. Like how how are the birds going to understand them? How did they get here? <laughs> I there's just if 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 I have one major complaint about this game and major is a bit of an exaggeration, there's a lot of Deus Ex Machina in Near Replicant. Yeah. There is a lot of the writers just putting something in because it works for that moment in the story. Yep. If Yoko Taro does that more often, then he's just really adept at chaining the lore to what's going on. This is not one of those times, though, because there, mm. <laughs> there's no reason this kid should be here. Yeah. And I mean, it's cool. It's it's nice to see him. Like, they line up, and they're like, how many rules prevent us from fighting this? Like, 6,702, sir. It's like, we're sure breaking a lot of rules today. Yes, sir. And it's like, it's, it's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. It's but a good they moment. shouldn't be here. <laughs> yeah. And so they, you know, you, the player, and you, I mean, Nier and Kaine and everybody um, are fucking sick of fighting this boar. So it's it's welcome when they say like, oh, we'll hold the boar off. Like you run through the door. Don't worry about us. And they have to like literally shove Nier out the door. Yeah. Kaine gives him a slap on the face to like bring him back to reality. <laughs> but we're we're finally able to get through the halls and we get into what looks like a bombed office building. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see other buildings like outside. This looks like near Automata, if you're familiar with that game. Mm-hmm. If you're not, it just looks like any office building in your local city just bombed and destroyed. Right. And Devil and Popol are there. And this is where they lay everything out on the ground for you. And here's the gist of it. Uh, Devla and Popola are not human. They're androids. They also tell us that we aren't human either, uh, Vice, Nier, Kaine, and Emil. Mm-hmm. None of us are. We are all replicants. 1,300 years ago, humanity found itself on the brink of extinction because of this white chlorination syndrome. Uh, we didn't talk about this in depth in the first episode, and I'm not going to spoil a ton of what happens in Drakengard, but in ending E... A dragon, the dragon as it's called, and the giant fight. They're both destroyed. The giant leaves behind maso particles. This is what causes the white chlorination syndrome. Or excuse me, no, I'm wrong. The white chlorination syndrome is because, I don't remember if it's the dragon or someone else, but they they force humans to make a, a pact, and it's either turn into legion, which are monsters that serve the dragon, mm-hmm. or turn into pillars of salt one of the two that's and that's white chlorination syndrome mm-hmm. they experiment with maso to kind of fix that and that led to project gestalt 
which is separating the human soul from their body. The, the, the idea is they're putting the souls into storage for however long it takes. However long it takes for white chlorination syndrome to go away, mm-hmm. that's how long the souls will be saved uh, until you know that passes along. The bodies then uh, are called replicants. They are uh, artificial husks, but they do age. They do have emotions and personalities. They they can fuck. Like it's explicitly stated, they can fuck. They can't uh-huh. procreate, but they can fuck. <laughs> um, I win. think like when when they're having when when someone has a baby, what it says is like Popola and Devla go to them and they're like, "Hey, you're having a baby. Congrats!" And then they like knock them out. <laughs> and then when they come to, they just have a baby. Nice. I sure hope it's, that doesn't happen to me. <laughs> um, it's pretty what, funny. One one thing though, I want to just note for people listening along um, is that knowing about the white chlorination syndrome is not important to getting the main message of the game. I feel like because I played this game, no idea about white chlorination syndrome um, until I beat the game and started reading things and watching YouTube videos. Yeah, yeah. It's that's not that's not the important part. The important thing to know is that the souls and the bodies were separated. The souls were planning to get put back into the bodies. Mm-hmm. But what happened is that the souls would begin to relapse and turn into shades. That's the problem. Uh there is one person, one rep, uh one gestalt, excuse me. The gestalt the gestalts are the souls. One gestalt that is sort of the prime one that is able to fix everything. And that's what Devil and Popola are are doing. They're trying to fix everything. Uh, but from our point of view, they're siding with the Shadow Lord. We don't know why. Right. Um, and they have this really great quote that I love. Um, one of them says, You have your own motives, your own desires, and we have ours. I'm afraid it really is that simple. It doesn't need to be anything more than that. It's like they, we don't need a big like flashback. We don't we don't need the white chlorination. Um, what do you call it? Backstory. It's just some characters have some motivation. Others have the others. That's all there is to it. Yeah, it's just there's, business. There's no um, drawn out evil villain speech or something like that during this. They They give you the backstory and then it's abundantly clear that you're not just going to like lie down and quit. So mm-hmm. we're moving on. This started to like, once this came up that um, you are replicants and that the gestalts are out there and the ultimate goal is to rejoin uh, the two together. Suddenly I remembered that, you know, um, the shadow Lord looks a lot like near and back at the beginning of the game in the prologue was another near and another Yona. So then my mind was instantly like, oh, that's what's going on here. Yep. They don't explicitly spell that out, but it's 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 not hidden. Like that is what's going on. The mm-hmm. Shadow Lord and Nier are one and the same. But uh for right now, we haven't met him yet. We're doing another <laughs> fight with Devil and Popola. Yeah. Um this is really cool because this uh it's a tougher fight and this has a remixed sort of song of the a- ancients where they're both singing. It's very cool. Yeah. It's a very uh, good song. It it starts out kind of tough and gets tougher, but after a while we kind of beat down Devila. And 
I this is I think this is my favorite scene in the game. Like this this until we get to Shadow Lord is maybe my favorite stretch of of this whole game. Yeah. It's it's terrific. Yeah. And I'm actually I'm I'm just going to play this scene. I'm going to insert the dialogue from here so everyone can hear what I'm talking about. Popola. Are you crying? No. Don't die. You know, Popola, I understand now why we're twins. It's because... Because we were born without souls. Devla, I can't stop the bleeding. Oh God, I can't stop it. This world is too... Uh, too lonely for one without a soul. There's too much emptiness. Our souls are missing. And yet somehow our tears still work. It's kind of weird. Sorry, sis. I love you. Devil! Devil! Don't you go! Because it is my favorite in the game. It's it's incredible. It's the voice acting. It's just terrific. It's so emotional. But then they have this. Uh, there's this line uh, as Devil is laying there that that you've all heard, and she says, "Our souls are missing, and yet somehow our tears still work." It's kind of weird. That like. <laughs> That hit me in the face when I heard it. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, it, it seems like a, a Google Translate line. But then they come right back after that with, um, you know, Popola is uh, wailing, saying I can't be alone, and then the famous nobody stops. Mm-hmm. It's like, how, how are you going to put such a bad line before that? Yeah. It's yeah. so silly. The um, I, I kind of thought it was cool how Popola just like you said, snaps. And she is like unhinged, screaming, maximum anger. And like, you, I think like before, I think that she and Devola did not like want to kill you or your party. Now she's just completely snapped wide open. She's mm-hmm. on the offensive now. And um, you like, you have to finish the boss fight. It's not that hard, but she is using like tons and tons of magic. Like, you know, everything she's got. It's, yeah, it's everywhere. 
And when you're uh, when you're doing this fight with just Popola, it is just the raw, unarranged song of the ancients playing. Oh, cool! So something before completely serene, just a purely unencumbered piece of almost folk music. Now, entirely different meaning, mm-hmm. completely different. Yeah, it's it's, it's cool. so well done. I love this scene, uh, this whole. Uh, sequence of this game so much it is so good it's great and then you get into what i think is um one probably my favorite scene one of my favorite scenes uh, of the game here uh, when you beat popola but in like i i feel like you know her dying you know last action is to summon all the magic she can and kind of like trap you pull you back because Emil's using his magic to like float you across this gap basically <laughs> Emil to the is, rescue <laughs> yeah this is like Star Wars shit this is yeah. like this is what I mean when it's like deus ex machina a little bit because we never knew that they could do this and it's just we're seeing it now for the first time because it's exciting yeah it's like hey Emil you were able to put us in a bubble and float us places couldn't you have floated us up onto the bridge in front of the junk heap a few times buddy <laughs> but or uh maybe past the whole minecart section yeah but he's uh he, he's doing it now he's figured it out um, it, he's he's learning his he's learning what his body is capable of uh, just like every young boy does. Well, he's yeah, he's at that age, you know. <laughs> so, he's he's at that age. In a couple years, Popolo is going to come up to him, knock him out, and he's going to wake up with a kid. Yep, that's the natural <laughs> order of things. <laughs> so, yeah, and, and this there's nothing to be ashamed of. Everyone goes through it. Everybody goes through what we uh, what we conveniently call the Popolo special. Yes, I hope everyone doesn't go through uh, what happens to Emil here. Yeah. It's it's brutal. I I don't I want to be clear though. I don't think that this Deus Ex Machina stuff tarnishes the story because I think it does everything else really well. But I I could see somebody being like, "Well, this this is just sloppy." I could see that argument. Yeah, but the you are in such an emotionally charged scene here that like I I think that if these if this scene isn't landing for you, if you're thinking about Deus Ex Machina during this scene, then this story is not working for you and it's mm-hmm. a larger issue i feel like so yeah. it's um this this scene is really uh really powerful this is probably the most powerful scene in the game um in my opinion coming up right here it's it if not the it's it's certainly one of them um what what emil does is he he kind of creates a separate bubble as we're being pulled away he creates a separate one that pushes Kaine, uh, yeah, Kaine, Nier, and Vice out and just leaves Emil being pulled in. And he's saying this whole time, he's like, you know, I've, I've hated my eyes, I hate my body, like I, I've done nothing but destroy my whole life. Just everything I look at dies. Mm-hmm. I could finally save something. And Kaine, this is maybe one of the only time, one of the very few times Kaine, Kaine shows emotion, like, other than anger <laughs> um and you know she does not want this to happen she's like get the fuck back here and blah 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 what i love about this scene though is as emil's getting pulled in he's not giving this like hero's final speech he's not talking about like vanquishing evil how he's in the right he is uh he's confused yeah He's um so what happens is you're in this blue bubble the three of you the four of you with vice and Emil splits it 
So your bubble continues on to the the other side of this gap while Popola's magic pulls um, Emil in. And he is uh, scared. There's a quote from him um, as, you know, he gets pulled in. It it kind of it's like a black hole almost like it all just sucks into one and then there's nothing there. And as it's happening, there's a quote where um, Emil says uh, near, you know, character name, you can put your own name in here. So he said, Dave, um, I just want to see you again. I'm so scared. I don't want to die. And it is it's uh it's brutal man like this was a real rough scene because emil is the best he's such a sweet little boy and he's not even like he's happy to save his friends but as he's going away his last thoughts of them are i don't know if they're going to be okay yeah like that's it and then like you said he he literally goes into a fetal position as what we can interpret around him being his reality physically begins to crack like the screen starts cracking um and he says i'm scared I don't want to die. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Yeah. It is, it, it's so powerful. Yeah. And it's real too. Yeah. Cause he made this choice to sacrifice himself. Um, and at the time I'm sure he was like, yeah, I want to do this. I want to, I want to do this. I want to help my friends get onto the, the destination. Cause you're so close. Like, and then once it starts to kick in about what's actually happening, he's scared. Cause of course he is. And the reality is, like, and any one of, I think all of us at some point have seen an action movie or a fantasy movie where this happens and we think to ourselves, like, yeah, I could do that. Yeah, like, I, I would, I would sacrifice myself for everybody else. But the reality is, in that situation, when your brain is firing chemicals, like saying, hey, body, you're about to die. And yep. uh, I don't want that. Yep. Like, that's not, we're not going to be, you know, um, Oh, what McBain from The Simpsons. We're not going to be like Mr. Big Hero, <laughs> right? We're, we're going to be scared. And, right. and that's why this is so good. And it baffles me that it comes after, you know, kind of weird that we can cry, right? Yep. <laughs> I'm this sorry, was, I can't uh, get over that. This was the moment where uh, when this happened, so this scene finishes, and my immediate thought was just, you know, sadness about what had happened. But I instantly thought... Like, I had heard so many people talk about how happy they were to see Emil in Near Automata, because he has a little cameo in Automata. And I was like, I don't get it. And then once this scene happened, I was like, I get it now. <laughs> I'm, I am I will be the one to push back on that. I, I don't like it. I'm, it's not that I'm not happy to see him. Right. It's, it's just that it, I, I've talked about this on the show so many times. When you bring back a character that has a really meaningful death, it 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 cheapens the whole thing. And I personally, I don't like it. Like, yeah, I love seeing Emil in Automata. I'm like, oh, it's my buddy Emil. He's honking around as a truck for some reason. Yeah, um, that, and then that's I, what actually, I, meant. I missed his side quest too. That's what is, I meant. It's it's not like a um, they're happy that like you know the story is different or something like that. It's just like holy fuck, Emil, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's conflicting, right? It's conflicting. Yeah. It's good to see him, but at the same time, like, what did his death mean? I don't know. Um, it's really good, though. It's like this whole reverse birth scene that gets complemented with the final scene of the game. Very cool. Kaine and Nier are both just shocked after that, but uh, Kaine kind of comes to her senses first and kicks the shit out of Nier. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's mildly sexually charged, but I'm so glad they didn't run with that because I I think it goes against their characters. But I think it's confirmed that Kaine does feel for Nier in that way. It's just not. I I don't know. It's you can tell there is some sexual tension there, but they don't lean into it and make it a point. It's for a moment, and then Kaine says, "Snap out of it. We've got work to do." Mm-hmm. Yeah, more on their relationship later i think sort of yeah we've finally reached the shadow lord we're finally here this is what it's all been leading up to uh he's standing over a sleeping yona he's just sort of watching he's talking in shade language uh and he's not leaving yona without a fight Mm -hmm. uh this music is really good that's the first thing that i noticed uh in this fight we're mainly facing him last time it was mainly grimoire noir and we do have to beat Noir up just a little bit, but we're largely fighting Shadow Lord here, and he's very fast and fights kind of like Nier. He's got much more magic, though, that lets a lot of stuff spawn through the ground. Yeah, he's, um, again, not not a difficult fight, because this is not a difficult game, but you do have to kind of pay attention. You have to do a lot of chasing him from side to side in the arena, and then there's one part of the fight where he's floating up out of reach, and you have to really chase him around and try and jump up and fight him up in the air. And it's kind of a pain in the ass, but there's a really cool section at the end of the fight when, um, vice kind of like leaves you to go over and like, hold him, hold him down basically. And he's just shooting these streams of these, you know, big red orbs at you, the bullet hell stuff. And you have to run up, avoid the attacks, hit the, the magic barrier. It will shoot you back to the beginning run up again, uh, avoid even more, you know, bullet hell stuff. And it's, it's this final like desperate push to get up and, and kill him basically. And it's, it's all played up really well. The music's fucking great. Um, it's a really like, it's a really fun spectacle again of a final boss fight. Absolutely. Um, we, once we pummel him enough, Yona actually gets up and she says, wait. And everybody is shocked at this point. Um, because she hasn't been up for a while. Uh, and she calls out for her brother. And, you know, she says, brother. And and Nier is like, oh, my God, this is what I've been working towards. But she runs right past him to Shadow Lord. This is what we've been waiting for. And it's like, oh, no. And the way they frame it is great. It's from the side. Mm-hmm. And, like, you can see them overlap. And then she passes him. And he just stops. And she's begging Shadow Lord to stop. She's like, I don't want to do this anymore. Uh, she says, I don't need someone else's body. I don't want it. There's another girl inside this body. I can hear her. She won't stop crying. She says she wants to see her brother. It's not right that she can't see him. Yeah. Nier doesn't understand. <laughs> this is kind of dense. Nier doesn't understand what's going on. He thinks she's possessed. <laughs> I... Honestly, I had like half of an idea of what was going on here because there's there's so many things happening. There's a lot of information and then Emil dies and then you fight the final boss. There's a lot of information here. So in like in my podcast notes, I had a bunch of stream of consciousness like trying to piece this together during this last part. I wasn't totally sure either, even though I was like 70% of the way there. Like I had the gist, but... The details, again, hammered home as I replay this section three more times. 
after she uh, she talks to Shadow Lord for a second, or he talks to her, and we just can't understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, and she turns to Nier and says, "It's you, isn't it?" And this <laughs> this is like applause. This is perfect phrasing for mm-hmm. a sentence that gets recontextualized as we go through the next playthrough. Yeah. It's really good. Like Nier doesn't Nier sees this as her coming too. She's snapping out of it. But Yona recognizes like you are the person that this replicant is yearning for. That's you how I saw brother. it too. I saw it the way Nier saw it. I saw it as Nier as Yona recognizing her brother. Right. And it's it, it's framed that way because how else are we supposed to to think about it? Right. I, I think it would take somebody that's really attuned to what's going on to to realize on their first playthrough what's happening. I didn't I didn't catch it the first time. Um, she apologizes and she's saying, like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. She looks back to both of us, to Nier and Shadowlord, and says, I love you, and then disappears. She kind of fades, uh, d- d- um, evaporates the same way that Louise did. And this breaks Shadowlord. He's, he is mad and he's, he's going to take it out on us. Mm-hmm. Oh, and this is the part of the boss fight that I was talking about the second part where he's up in the air. You have to mm-hmm. chase him around. And then that final thing where vice is holding him back. Yeah. There is a quote that near says here during the fight. Again, they hide a lot of really good stuff. Like, wow, so much is going on. And he says, you want me to understand your sadness? You think I'm going to sympathize with you? I swore to protect my sister and my friends. If someone puts them in danger, they must stand aside or be cut down mm-hmm. near this. This is, all tying back to the theme of perspective, Nier is so black and white, he's unchanging. He lacks so much critical information that might help him, but he's not even willing to to consider it, to, to think about it. He he all he knows is kill shades, find Yona. He's done one of those things. There's only one thing to do now. Mm-hmm. And it's just I, I've got to applaud. The the a lot of the writing in this is so good. It's so damn good. Yeah. Yeah, really. Until we talk. Yeah. It's weird, isn't it? <laughs> I'm done. That's the last time. Last time, everybody. I'm not going to shit on that line. Anymore. Uh, this is, Dave, this is exactly what, what you were talking about. Uh, Vice kind of goes forward. He has one last little chat with Nier. He calls him his friend. He says, it's okay to call me Vice. I like it, actually. Um, it's pretty sweet. Uh, but then he kind of disappears. He's holding Shadow Lord down. Like you said, you have to run up and bash him a couple of times and then we kind of cut him down and it seems like we're done we've it seems like we've killed the shadow lord uh kaine is holding yona she appears to be dead but we can hear vice he's speaking out he doesn't have his body anymore but he's like hey i could talk to you i'm gonna lose this you know i'm gonna lose my voice here soon but yona's okay you just need to call her back using your memories so we get this little scene where Yona is talking. She's like, what's my favorite book? It's this, of course. What's my favorite cookie? Oh, of course it's this. And then she says, who do I love the most? And the, the keyboard comes up and you have to type in your character name, mm-hmm. which is very sweet. Yeah. It's, it's why I said all those hours ago, if you're going to play this game to type in your own name. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really nice. It's really sweet. The, the two of you reunite uh, Kaine begins to leave. We, we ask her to stay with us and she says, I've got my own shit to take care of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there is a shot that focuses on our arm, but 
you know, that's it. The last thing Yona says, they both look out into the distance into the sunlight. She says, for the longest time, I heard someone telling me that they wanted to see the light, and now they can finally see it. And that ends playthrough A. So what did you think? Well, there, there. I think there is in playthrough A, you get to see a little shot of them before, like a previous shot of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you get to see Yona and Shadow Lord kind of up above, as it were. But at the end of your first playthrough, what, what were you thinking, Do you, if you can remember back then? Um, I was pretty confused, but I also had the benefit of knowing ahead of time that you have to play the game multiple times. So in my head, I was confused, but looking forward to what was coming because I knew there was more coming. And I wonder if someone, you, Rick, I assume you knew this also, but someone playing near for the first time and doesn't know that the game repeats, how they're going to feel about this, because this is very clearly the end of the game. You get the credits and everything. And, you know, it seemed to me like it it wasn't as satisfying as I thought it was going to be. Of course, there's a reason for that. But that was what I was thinking. I was more confused and thinking like, okay, now what's going to happen after the credits? I don't remember. Is this like Automata where it will tell you at the end, like ending A achieved? Yeah, it does. Okay. So that does kind of give you a bit of a hint. I, I don't know. Like when I first finished this, it seems like such an uplifting ending, right? Um, but now we're going into playthrough B, so we're going to kind of talk about how some of this gets recontextualized. Yeah. Um, so. And since we're just on this quote right here, the reason that this quote stands out to me, um, I heard someone telling me for the longest time that they wanted to see the light, and now they can finally see it. What, the first time we go through, what what we're thinking is like, oh, it's, you know, Yona and Nir, they're seeing the light again. You know, it's it's a metaphor. They're, they're together now. Mm-hmm. Recontextualized, I think... What that is was Gestalt Yona wanting to see Gestalt near who was the Shadow Lord who we just slaughtered and killed. It's it's a completely different read and a completely different emotion knowing that context. And it's hmm. it's a little it, it's it's hopeless. I don't I don't think Yoko Taro succeeded making this game less depressing. Than Dragon Guard. <laughs> <laughs> like I said at the beginning, if this is less depressing, then I I don't even want to know what goes on in Dragon Guard. How depressing can a game with a bunch of dragons and its servants really be, though? <laughs> I don't know, man. I I know so little about it other than ending E that leads directly into this. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'd like to get to it one day. It's just, man, it's it's tough to get into play wise. Yeah, that's what I hear. Yeah, it's for me, it's on to playthrough B. That was what I was looking forward to because, again, I knew ahead of time that not only is there more after the credits, but that it's the exact same game again after the credits. Um, and by this time, by the way, I had opened up a weapons guide and I was fully like, because um, I had read someone saying, like, you need to play this minimum three times. And I was like, we're going to make sure that it's three times and not four or five because that would suck. So, yeah. Yeah. So we start back at um, Kaine's being unpetrified right there. And playthrough B starts out with something that I think is really cool, uh, which is the text adventure history, text adventure, you know, it's not really text adventure this time. It's just reading Kaine's history. 
But again, it's presented the way those text adventures were with, you know, music and really, really good writing and stuff like that. So learning about Kaine's history and finding out who she was, who her grandma was from that one scene in the airy earlier, finding out about her shade, uh, parasite companion, parasites, the word probably, um, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we learn through this text adventure, um, through this descriptive prose that the reason it's not explicitly spelled out. I, I think you do have to do a little bit of digging, but the reason that Kaine was bullied so much is because the kids learned that she was different. Um, and what that means is she was intersex. Now, what I heard is, number one, they never say the word intersex in the game. No, they don't. And they say different in the game. I heard, cannot confirm, but I heard that this is a a little translation tweak, that it's a little bit more clear in the Japanese. I would imagine so. I, I know it's I know it's canon that she is intersex. Yeah, yeah, for and sure. And I know that if I were to play this for the first time without looking up any sort of wiki that I wouldn't have read it that way. Yeah, she's she's different. I thought her being different means that she's possessed by a shade because we already know that she's possessed by a shade. And I didn't know that this was taking place before the possession started or this began and the possession happens during this, if you know what I mean. But even then, it's like, okay, if it's not the shade, what is it? We don't really know. The but, two The two but, hints that we get are the word different yeah. And one of the bullies, when they're bullying her, they kind of stop and they say, show me. And she says, no, you know, and mm. those, that's really the only two hints we get. Uh, Kaine herself explains to Emil, but she also uses the word different. Um, but it is intersex. Uh, what happened, if you're interested in the lore, is that her replicant just had a freak accident when it was being created. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, she biologically uh, assigned at birth Kaine, the Gestalt, was female. Her replicant body just went through an accident during its creation and was intersex. Mm-hmm. That's the official lore of it all. Yeah. Uh, whether or not that makes a difference to you, I don't know. Um, it's not really my place to say. Yeah. I, I, just, I, I just feel like a lot of people are going to come through this and just be like, yeah, she's different somehow. Little kids sure are shitty to each other, you know. Kids bully each other. It's a real thing that happens and happened to Kaine. It's a very real thing that happens. What's a shame that the translation doesn't highlight that is because like that gives the reason that she dresses the way that she does, it, it gives it a purpose, right? She dresses that way because she wants to highlight her femininity, right? She doesn't want to be seen as a quote-unquote freak, her words, mm-hmm. the words of the villagers, um, she doesn't want to be seen that way. And I mean, otherwise she's presenting as, as a woman, right? Yeah. So she dresses that way because that is what society views as hyper feminine. That's a good point. I never thought about that. Even in my, um, in my episode on near replicant, we were talking about how her costume, her dressing dress, her dressing, come on, Dave, her, <laughs> her costume, her, her design doesn't fit at all with anything else in the world. So the way you described it there does make a lot of sense. Aha. Real time. Real time uh, podcast episode comparisons going on. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, that's, I, I think we're missing out 
or people that play this and don't go searching for it because they played it in English, they're missing out on that context, right? Because, I mean, otherwise, she's just dressed like a hussy, to quote Vice, <laughs> for no reason, yeah. seemingly. Um, yeah. And I, I think that's really great. I, I, I know we've talked about this before in various episodes on, like, 13 Sentinels, um, probably other stuff, too. I personally don't have a problem with this kind of presentation of women or men, to be honest, but I know some people do having a reason for it, I think is better than not I yeah. mean, in any situation. Yeah. And in, in like, I, my original thought process was that I thought that the, the, um, contrast between the way Kaine acts and the way that she's dressed was interesting. And I thought the way she dressed was unnecessary, but now, um, it, it makes a lot more sense this way. Now, do I still think it's unnecessary to see her entire ass for the whole game? Yeah, kind of. But it it does make a lot more sense. And that's where I personally draw the line because I'm a little bit infamously like anti-horny in video games. Where I draw the line is if it makes sense in the world, then it's fine. It's, it's cool. I may not want to stare at her ass the entire game, but it does make sense. Uh, so the way you described it does help out. Kudos to the writing team, man. Not to me. Well... Kudos to you for <laughs> for putting two and two together. I'm just over here with my uh, my picket signs and everything. <laughs> hey, I can count to four, but uh, don't ask me to count past six. What the heck come after six? Do people still so, remember that video? I have no idea what you're talking about, so we're just oh, going to... Oh, it's... Con- uh, I'm Shafid. <laughs> no idea. Oh, bro. That's like a it's, a... it's a really good early 2000s kind of a video. I think it oh. might have been on... Tosh at some point early weird internet yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um we're gonna talk through playthroughs b through d kind of generally you get to hear about how kaine's possession of the shade came to be um essentially what happens is the old woman that took her in that always stood up for her kaine kind of adopted quote unquote as her grandma um the grandma swears just as bad as regular kaine does which is pretty funny right i'm um, thinking of an old lady talking like that um but the two of them decide to live together the old woman's health is failing and eventually the enormous shade named hook that we see in the beginning that we fight uh that kaine threatens to piss in its eye sockets uh-huh. uh it comes through <laughs> destroys their house and kills kaine's grandma in a pretty graphic way like very graphic and I'm pretty sure it cuts Kaine's arm off too. Um, This is when the shade known as Tyrion possesses Kaine. Um, We get to learn a little bit about Tyrion. He's basically just a psychopath. Like he exists just to, for the thrill of the kill. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much it. Uh, But he can heal Kaine's broken arm, uh, decapitated arm and basically gives her more energy. And he's like, look, here's the deal. You can use me and my power to get revenge all you like. All I ask is you got to keep killing. If you don't keep killing, I am going to take over your body. And that's going to be that. And she says, well, I don't really have much of a choice. Yeah, this uh, Tyrion is probably my least favorite part of this, like, Root B. Uh, all the ways that character motivations and uh, story moments are recontextualized, I don't like him. Every time he talked, I was like, this is just, it's a bit much, I feel like. Like, there's... Maybe there's not supposed to be nuance to Tyrion, but there is none. And it's very much like, kill, kill, no, keep killing. And I was like, all right, like we get it, you know. 
that nuance goes away too whenever you learn and i again i think this is all in grimoire near or otherwise uh just like out in the ether as lore but you learn that Tyrion wasn't even a relapsed shade like he was just a gestalt that hadn't relapsed yet he just happened to have a quote sick and twisted personality (laughs) so that kind of takes that nuance and drives it even further into the ground like Mm -hmm. they're I, I'm with you. I don't uh I'm not a big fan of Tyrion. I like the purpose he serves in the story, but as a character, like I I didn't care anytime he was talking. Yeah. I, I suppose the defense would be that you get a Tyrion pushing to kill, you know that Nier wants to kill, and then you're also getting more contextualization, recontextualization of why you shouldn't be killing while you get both characters with their intense motivations to keep killing right because root b to me was all about recontextualizing all of the story moments but showing the shade side of things yes and let's let's talk about that because that is like you said the largest purpose of playthrough b is to recontextualize everything because now we've got the shade perspective yeah kaine can understand shades because of tiran's help so now we know what the shades are saying whenever we're around them. Mm -hmm. And as we've learned at this point, shades are just uh, relapsed gestalts. They are human souls that have relapsed and turned into shades. They are humans. But the word relapsed doesn't mean that they're evil. It just means that they're they're not going to be compatible with Project Gestalt, right? Well, sort of. When when they relapse, they do lose their personality and their sentience they kind of turn into it just varies for everybody like not everybody relapses at the same rate some of them some relapse immediately and on the other end there is uh original near who was able to remain in stasis okay because most of the sections that you go through as you replay all of the game basically um after the time skip is you go through the plot beats, but at most of the plot beats, you get a shade's perspective on what's going on. So like when you go to the shrine, that big Mr. Potato Head looking dude uh, was just fighting you because you're in there killing the small shades. It wanted to protect his friends. And um, the Junk Heap shade, there's a real sweet little short story about how it got separated from its mother and it was really scared and this machine started to care for it. And so you get all these little like shade backstories. So again, it's not that the shades are like evil somehow. They're just, yeah, I guess I'm a little confused on what relapsing means because all of these shades do attack you at some point. Yeah. So when they're relapsing that after the relapse, they cannot join with their replicants anymore. Right, that's, that is, that's what I mean. That is gone. They're not compatible anymore. So Some of them become hostile right away. Like, those are the shades that we just fight out in the world, mm-hmm. you know? Like, they're not talking to us. Um, some of them, like in the very, very beginning, the shades that do not attack you, that is recontextualized because now you know those were just essentially kids yeah. coming up just seeing, like, hey, what's going on, which you then slaughter them. Yeah. Some, when, but not everyone relapses at the same rate. So that's why you've got like the little shade that befriends the robot named Beepy. He can still be a kid. Or you've got the, sh- the bigger shades that are trying to protect the baby shades. They're not so far gone that they're just malicious beasts. That's 
that's my understanding of it. It it is all a little bit kind of swirly and confusing. Mm. But I think that's it. I think it's just the rate of uh, descent into madness just varies. Okay. I think. Okay. I just thought that the ones that, you know, the ones that we talk to or the ones that we hear dialogue from or the key ones in our key plot moments are given characterization because they're plot relevant. And then all the other ones just aren't because they're not plot relevant and they can't all talk to you. That would be And too I mean, much. that's... That's the realistic reason, right? I mean, they can't give dialogue to everything. Right. So I got a question for you. So we go through this uh, Route B. Basically, we play the whole game again. Um, we, we find out all of these shade stories and stuff. Why doesn't Kaine say anything? She's always on the, she's on the brink of telling you a couple of times throughout the game she uh, she's on the brink of saying something important and then she always just kind of like no nope, never mind let's move on and it feels to me that now we know Kaine can understand them she has been able to understand them this whole time never said anything throughout the entire game she never tells you they're uh sentient they're nonviolent nothing and the answer to me would be that She's afraid of what Tyrion would do, but Tyrion took over her body once. We beat the shit out of him, and she continues to not say the truth. I think that's what it is. I think it is the fear of Tyrion fully taking over. If I had to extend a guess, I would say that when we do beat up Shadow Kaine, it's not fully like Tyrion taking over. It's just like almost all, like 75%. That's what I would assume and i would mm -hmm. assume that she just doesn't want Tyrion to take over because once he does she's gone like she's gone forever um maybe there's a bit in there about like you know what is near gonna do if he finds out the truth i don't know i'm i'm guessing it's probably the first one though mm -hmm. uh, i don't know for sure that's just what i would assume yeah it was just something that I was thinking of because there are like i said a couple sections throughout the game where kaine knows obviously knows that the little shade in the junk heap is is just a little kid hanging out with his robot pal mm -hmm. but she won't tell you so it's a little like part of her character it's not like a criticism of the game's story or something but it's a part of her character where even she is too scared of Tyrion. probably the only thing she's afraid of i guess uh, too scared to say the truth, even though she knows it for the entire game. I, I would I would assume that that's correct, because that's the first thing Tyrion says is like the second you go soft, you're done. Like you're out, and it's my body. And I'm I'm guessing she just doesn't want that to happen until because at, at a certain point she wants to save Yona too, if for no other reason because Nier wants to, and mm -hmm. you know they're very close. I would assume it's just the fear of Tyrion. Yeah, that was what I had thought of too, but it was something like a nagging thing in my head of just like, hey, just fucking say it, you know? It, it's one of the things I wonder if Grimoire Near would expand upon it. Um, Grimoire Near, for those wondering, is similar to Perfect Works for Xenogears. It gives you the scope of everything, mm -hmm. even stuff that they don't get into in the game, but it is not translated into English. There are some fan translations, but they're not complete. And I have read the quality is 
not the best. Yeah. I don't know. I'll get back to you in like four years whenever I could read it. <laughs> um, another thing, just another question for you. So in this playthrough, playthrough B, you are, it's being hammered home to you as you go through all these scenes that you're the bad guy. You're the one who's, um, you're killing innocent people. You're killing the humans. You thought you were human. You're not, you're killing the humans. And uh, at the end of the game, you know, if you put the pieces together, you know that killing the shadow Lord, since he's the last hope, you're dooming humans. And that's not made, I I don't mean to interrupt you, Dave. Uh, That's not made explicitly clear, but it is canon. Shadow Lord is the one that can reunite everybody. Shadow Lord, Grimoire Vice, and Grimoire Grimoire Noir are the ones that can reunite every single shade to every single uh, replicant. Yeah. When Shadow Lord is killed, all that goes away. Shades can no longer uh, go back to their replicants, so that means every... Gestalt will relapse into a shade. Every replicant will eventually die. So we we doom the human race. <laughs> yeah, and this is what, like, Devil and Popola didn't spell it out, but this is what they're talking about when they're like, "This is mm-hmm. this is our mission, basically." Uh, yeah. So, my question for you is, um, the the characters never have to really deal with this, and because the game repeats. You start over. The characters don't start over with the knowledge what they're doing. So it's kind of unlike some of the games uh, I've played. I won't say because it's a spoiler, but where the character knows that they're doing this, but they're pressed on by some mission. Um, It's like it's totally on you. And so do you think this makes it like more or less effective than, you know, other media that play with this? Because the characters don't ever have to contend with this. Uh, until the very end, but they're so, they have such tunnel vision at the end that like Nier doesn't care. Kaine is not going to say anything. Emil dies and that's it. They never deal with it. It's all on you. Well, I think that's effective because it makes us question our actions as we're playing a video game. Yeah. Right. It's, it's the Bioshock thing all over again. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an important thing in narrative-based stories that are essentially telling you, do this, do this, do this to proceed. I don't know how they could have finagled it to have the characters wrestle with that because it, it essentially they would have needed an, an info dump at the very end because I don't think Nier ever realized what he was truly doing, um, at least not in the events that we see. I'm not... I mean, Yona certainly doesn't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, Vice unclear it i mean it's unclear where he even went at the end it's it's really unclear what vice actually knows through the entire game like you never really yeah. get a sense of what he actually knows so so I, I i'm just not sure how they'd get them all onto the same page to have them wrestle with it without making like ending f and like a whole new dlc right and i don't know you can cut this if you feel like this is going too far into a spoiler for a different game but um in near automata, they do have to deal with it. And it's, mm-hmm. I feel like it's just a bit more interesting that me and the other characters have to, we're all dealing with what's going on. Uh, but I do agree that this is a cool thing that is uniquely video game. Video games can do this in a way that like a movie, like I'm not complicit in what a movie character does, but I am the one swinging the sword in the video game, you know? 
And I, I think they, I think Yoko Taro and his team wanted to capitalize on that idea uh, because that's exactly what the whole playthrough B is. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're still going around killing these shades. You have to, to proceed, but you know, now what you're doing, you're killing children, you're killing regular people. Um, yeah. And I, I think they wanted you to to sort of sit in that and to stew in it and to ask yourself, you know, is this is it always the right move to just kill stuff in video games? It's interesting, too, because when you start the game over, you start with kind of a new goal. Like you kind of start with this implied new goal that you're actually going to be able to get a better ending this time. If you go and do it all again mm-hmm. and then again, if you... um. If you're following the advice to collect all the weapons and stuff, you're doing that for the purpose of getting the final ending. And so all of this is like, I know that what I'm doing is is wrong and, and evil, but I'm going to get the, the good ending by doing this, right? Like, did you have that feeling? Because I sure as hell did. I, d- I don't think I thought about it at the time. It makes, it makes all the sense in the world. Um, at the time... Well, for, for C&D at the time, I was just focused on getting the weapons because that's a pretty annoying task. Yeah. Through playthrough B, I wasn't really thinking about getting a better ending. I was just, I, I was focused on experiencing everything that I'd done before, sort of like as a, as, as a repentance, like experiencing all of the, the harm that I've done before, now hearing the other side mm-hmm. telling me what I'm doing, even though in the game I can't hear it. So no, at the time I wasn't thinking that, but it, I mean, it makes sense. I, I, I can understand why your mind went there. Yeah, that was definitely where my mind was. I was definitely thinking like, okay, I now know that what I'm doing is evil, but now we're on that. Like, I think you said at the beginning of the first episode, like how far are you willing to go when you feel like you're doing the right thing? And yeah. the... The, the new goal is a better ending because I was not satisfied with the first ending. I don't think you're supposed to be. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and that's the thing too, is like now you're going through playthrough B near himself still believes he's doing the right thing. But there is um, that narrative irony where we is, I, I, God, I hope that's the right one. Um, <laughs> there's, a, there's like three of them. There's two. But um, <laughs> we as the player know that Nier is not doing the right thing. So now we're living in this theme of perspective. We have a different perspective from Nier and we get to see him being a monster pretending he's doing the right or thinking he's doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, this goes back to, you know, the, the September 11th attacks that Tara was so um, inspired by. It's like one side thought that they were doing something good and just for their cause. Mm-hmm. Whereas we, I could say we as Americans, um, viewed it as something completely different. Um, and that's kind of what Taro is forcing us to do here. It's a forced perspective, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. I love it, man. I don't know. I, I, I don't think it's perfect and I don't, I don't think it would be super. I don't know that it would be possible to execute this perfectly. Um, and then of course, what does perfect even mean? But (laughs) I, I think it, I think it's really well done. I think it's heavy handed. In especially in routes C and D, especially with certain characters like Gideon, it's heavy-handed. It's very heavy-handed, but as a whole, I think it works really well. Yeah, uh, especially Route B. Root, this is a this is a messy idea to have you replay <laughs> the game a minimum of three to play the game a minimum of three times to get yeah 
all the to see all not like in a gamer collector way to get all the endings or something to literally just see the whole story to play the game minimum three times and if you're not following a guide probably more than three times because god help you if you're not following how to get all the weapons do they i think they do they tell you to to get all the weapons for ending c and d though uh it's it's i don't think so no i don't remember (laughs) it's um and I, I can't remember if you need all the weapons for C and D or if it's for E. It's for C and D, right? Because this is in the original game. It's for C and D, and then ending E, you need at least D, I believe. Okay. You don't need C, yeah. but you do need D. So um, there, uh, there's one other scene just from Root B that is not shade humanizing centered, and it's uh, Emil's backstory about him uh, petrifying his sister and... Anytime we we already know what happens to Emil, we already knew that his story was tragic, and now they're just like, "Hey, do you want more tragic scenes from Emil's backstory?" And I was like, <laughs> "Kind of, but not really." But yeah, let's see him. We also at the end of Route B get a new ending scene. Um, Emil survived his blast. Yeah, um, like it or not, he is alive. It's he's just ahead though. Yeah, um, and there are, there's a uh, supposedly a very funny story, like an anecdote in Grimoire Near about Emil like kind of making his way through the world is just ahead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can't read it unless you uh, read Japanese, but it's there supposedly. Yeah. Um, what I want to do now, just for the sake of time, is just really lightly go through ending C and D route mm-hmm. C and D because they are largely the same. But there are some differences. So C and D, to get these endings, you have to have every weapon. Every single one. My experience was starting Route C. I didn't need to do a ton of extra side quests. I did some here and there through A and B. As long as you know the right ones to do. Um, You're not going to need to grind for hours and hours. Although there are RNG elements on certain weapons, which is fucking dumb. So it can take you an hour or more to get one weapon because you have to get rare drops yep. from where else? The junk heap. The junk heap. Yep. Um, it, it's about this time when I'm going through route, uh, get trying to get the ending for C and D, where I start in my head. I start to be like, I know the sequence of events here. I go to the junk heap and I go kill the robot, and then I can go to the forest and do that. But you don't. You go to the junk heap. You get the weapon part, then you have to wait, and then you go to the forest, then you go to the junk heap again, and then you go do that, and then guess what? You got to grind for weapons, uh, grind for materials, so you go to the junk heap again, and it's a real fucking pain in the ass, and like, I can sit back now that I'm done playing the game and appreciate the point that Yoko Taro is driving home, but I cannot lie here and say that I enjoyed this in the slightest. I was not having fun playing it during this part. I, you know, I, it's hard to blame you. I mean, I, I completely understand. I I think I've said this before. I'm willing to put up with a lot of friction if I'm invested in a story. Um, I, I'm a story first gamer in a lot of ways, except when it comes to like rocket league and smash and most notably new, uh, now Marvel snap. (laughs) But, um, yeah, I, I am willing to put up with a lot of that friction for better or for worse. Yeah. I I don't mean to to breeze through these, but I want to get to ending E uh, just for the sake of time. Mm-hmm. Ending C and D, 
you get some new stuff. You get intermittent scenes with Devil and Popola sort of talking at the church. Mm-hmm. Just, uh, you know, they're, they're, they know what's going on. You get to see that. You get some more context with Emil and Halua's backstory. You see, um, you see Emil's birthday, which actually made me cry. The scene where uh, Emil's having a birthday party and they bring him the same cookie he gets every day, but it's brought by his favorite nurse and he's so happy. And just like that. Oh com- my God, I forgot all about that. Yeah. Combined with everything else that you've seen about Emil's story, just like instant, like made me cry. It was brutal. Poor, poor baby. Yeah. It's, I, <laughs> I, I did not remember that. Jeez. It's been a minute since I played through this. Moving forward, there is some new context with the Louise fight on the beach. Um, it just sort of highlights the relationship that uh, she had with the postman. Uh, it was it wasn't weird. It was really just a shade looking to, for human connection. Nothing weird. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end, real quick though, near and before oh, yeah, the end. Sorry, um, Devil and Popola's scenes give you the context that they are kind of pulling the strings behind the scenes. They're trying to set up the reunion. There's a couple of scenes where they're worried about your well-being, but not because you might die. Because they're worried about you as people, but they're worried about their mission. There's a um, scene where they they know about the shade in the uh, Louise in the shipwreck, and they're trying to use it to help their mission. So it's just a little bit of them scheming is what you get. Right. Yeah. Did I not say that? I don't think so, but my internet also went out. So. <laughs> oh, Zencaster. Yep. Anyway, the that, that is yes, that is that is completely correct. Um, they're they're scheming, they be creeping, they're going to find you, and I don't remember the next lyric from Redbone. Um, Nier and Yona, when they're re- reunited at the very end, the death of the Shadow Lord this time causes almost an immediate relapse in Tyrion. Um, this is where he goes through a bit of a change of heart, which I think is weak. Um, but the gist of this ending is for C and D, we've got to fight Shade Kaine. And Tyrion tells us that at some point he's going to hold her down. And you have two choices. You can either kill her, which is what she wants, uh, or she she asks you to do this before you know she fully turns. Yeah. Or you can sacrifice yourself for her. She will become a regular human again. You will cease to be. Mm-hmm. Um, the ending where you kill her, uh, Tyrion kind of comes back just like Vice did, and he's like, you know, I was with her a long time. She had so much pain. This is genuinely what she wanted. Like, you did the right thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not, interestingly, though, that's not canon. The canon ending is D, where you spare her, uh, because classic Nier, he's always got blinders on. Mm-hmm. Um, what you do is you... I, it's not clear how this works. Um, I think you just have to say, okay, I, I yeah, accept this. I'm playing a video <laughs> game. This is fantasy. <laughs> yeah, this is fantasy. Exactly. Uh, midichlorians, am I right? Yes. Um, but but you, you sacrifice yourself for her and she wakes up. This also erases all of your data, by the way. It's a very, it's the Yoko Taro classic trick. It shows every single bit of your data getting deleted. Yeah. All your menus. All yeah, that stuff. I'm not classic. I'm not emotionally attached to my menus. I don't give a shit. No, I I was staring at it while it was going on. Like, I'm not like I'm not the audience for this. Yeah. <laughs> um, but when Kaine wakes up, 
Yona recognizes her and Yona's like, you saved me, right? Like it was you like, thank you so much. And Kaine recognizes Yona obviously, but she doesn't remember. Nobody remembers near like it's as if he never existed. Um, but the important thing is that Kaine feels this persistent and deep sadness and she's crying. She just doesn't know why. And yeah. this is directly, this directly leads into route E. Right. Real quick though, no. with those endings, because yeah, at the beginning of the first episode, and I was talking about, I used the term manufactured tedium, and you said you wanted to revisit that. This is where we I'm revisit I'm shocked that this. you remembered that far back. Well, keep in for, mind. For, the, for those listening, we recorded episode one like a month ago. Yeah. Well, keep in mind, I also recorded my own podcast episode about this game. So I've had a lot of thoughts going on about Nier in the last couple months. So the fact that you went through all the bullshit to get those weapons added five to 10 hours onto my playtime of not fun video gaming to go and get all the weapons to do all these just horrendous side quests in my opinion, because in my head as a video game player, I think that there's a better ending uh, at the end of this, right? I'm doing this for a reason. And the fact that you get to this ending and both of these endings that you get suck for like they're good story, but they suck for you as the player. One of them, you kill Kaine. That's not, I don't want to kill Kaine. She's my buddy. The other one, you erase yourself and then you leave Kaine with this irreparable sadness, which also sucks. So both of these endings are super depressing and the fact that you went through so much to get these bad endings is awesome, and I love it. Okay, you you really had me in the first like <laughs> three fourths of that, right? <laughs> it it's it's something that like especially especially now because I beat the game like a month and a half ago, I can look back on it and not be frustrated at grinding for parts in the fucking junk heap, but I can think about how all of this and the persistent idea that I was gonna have a happy ending. And then you get to these, neither of these are happy endings. Both of them are terrible. Um, arguably, killing Kaine is the happy ending, right? Because she wanted to die. She said it and herself. And it's not even canon, yeah. te- technically. So, and I'm going to revisit this thought when we get um, to ending E. I'm going to put a bow on this in ending E. But I love how Yoko Taro set this up, where it's like, you're going to do all this shit to get the good ending. And guess what? There is no good ending. The story's fucked. It's always been fucked. 100% man. And that's my favorite kind of story. Like I've said this before. I, the happy ending very rarely touches me in, in a way that makes me say, thank you for that. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ. You're man. writing a letter to Yoko Taro <laughs> saying, thank you for this too. <laughs> thank thank you for touching me, Mr. Taro. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, but I, I don't know, like after, after a certain, I don't even, I don't want to say age because that makes me sound pompous, but after a while, like I just, the happy ending where everybody gets what they want, it doesn't do anything for me anymore, right? Like I love these kind of endings that have consequences and have weight. Yeah. This like is it's not just the hero winning. It's, you know, people like, uh, there's a phenomenal quote that I read recently from K.A. Applegate, who was the author of the Animorphs and um, I found this quote originally through a Jacob Geller video. Um, I don't need to shout him out, but please check him out if you haven't. Mm-hmm. Um, but like people were upset at the end of Animorphs because like 
there wasn't a grand, huge finale. And she wrote this big response. The gist of it was like, war doesn't have a happy ending ever. And like, it doesn't wrap up that way. That's just not real. Yeah. And that's what I appreciate about these kinds of stories is there is, there are consequences. Nobody is going to be completely happy in the end. Like that's, that's just life. I mean, this disco Elysium, Lisa, the painful Bioshock to a certain extent. It's, I, it, they're the best kinds of stories for me. And it's not surprising that they hold up so near automata. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I mean, geez Louise, talk about a sad story. Yeah. <laughs> it's great, man. It's great. And I'm glad that you liked it because as you were explaining it, I was like, oh, geez, he's going to say how much he hated it. No, I was, I was taking you through the journey of how I felt <laughs> grinding for the fucking weapons. And then, because it like, if I, I want people to be perfectly clear, like I spent about 15 hours of this game being like, I don't want to play this. I want to play something else. But I want to see how yeah. the story ends, so I'm going to keep playing it. But I don't want to. And when I said manufactured tedium for a purpose way at the beginning of the first episode, this was the purpose, was to make you feel like there was a purpose to what you were doing when there's not. There's no happy ending. And like, this world is horrible. Why would there be a happy ending in this world? I remember when you brought that up, I said, so I, I wasn't sure what you meant by it. Mm-hmm. At the time, what I thought you were going to say was grinding for the weapons sucks and it took away from the experience. Um, now that you've explained what you meant, I completely agree 100%. Um, we are on the, the same grimoire, my friend. <laughs> Hell I yeah. Completely agree. Now we've got ending E. This is unique to, well, this is unique in game form to Near Replicant, the remake, sort of remake. Um, this is an adaptation from Grimoire Near, of course. They changed it a little bit to go into Automata more smoothly. And even then, it's still kind of vague. So here's what happens. Um, identical playthrough as playthrough A up until you save Kaine at the Airy. You know, it's when she gets knocked out by Hook and you have to kind of pull her out of her unconsciousness, you know? Um, but when you reach in to grab her hand, your hand kind of tur- your hand kind of turns digital, and then it disappears. And Kaine wakes up. She's crying. She's still feeling the sadness from ending D. She kind of explains that, like, again, like, in a little, like, previously on sort yeah. of thing. She, she also says something to the effect of, like, people kept thanking her for saving Yona and she was like, I don't remember any of this. I don't think I saved her. Yeah. So this is all the ramifications of Nier sacrificing himself for her. Yeah. Um, this is also most notably where you finally get to play as Kaine, yes. which should have happened in playthrough B. Yes, it should I'm, have. I'm going to say here, mm-hmm. she's so much fun to play as. Yeah. She's not that different, but she is different enough. And you have spent so long doing the same two magic spells and the same five-hit combo, really wanted this. You know what it is? She's Platinum Games. That's what it is. Kinda, yeah. Well, I mean I mean, more so than, than near. Yeah, because this is new, so this is, yeah. yeah. It's, um, 
it's welcome. Like as much as I say it's not that different, it's welcome for sure. 100%. I love playing as Kaine. As Kaine, you are kind of taking care of the village. You're taking care of Yona, presumably. And somebody tells you as you're killing shades, like you literally stand up and say, might as well kill some shades. And as you're doing that, somebody says like, hey, yeah, like I'm on my way to the forest of myth. Like we can't get a hold of them. And Kaine's like, you won't last two seconds out there. Let me go instead. And <laughs> he's like, hey, be my guest, pal. When you get there, though, everybody is dead. And there is a weird portal in the Sleeping Beauty tree. And out of it, machines are coming. Mm-hmm. These look similar to the machines in the junk heap. Similar. And we're able to go into the tree for the first time, and this is where we learn for ourselves definitively that this tree is actually a massive supercomputer slash facility. And this is the wild part. When you get inside, two voices, a boy and a girl, are talking to Kaine. They're just explaining the story, how she's a replicant. She killed the original Gestalt, which isn't true i mean near did but Mm -hmm. semantics it's it's part of the whole thing every timeline is canon in yoko taro so every time i've said it's not canon uh, write (laughs) me a hate email (laughs) but um they're they're basically just saying like you fucked up you messed up by doing this um you doomed humanity and when they show themselves to us they kind of materialize out of wires it's kind of like they're part of the tree Mm -hmm. they look identical to 2b and 9S from Nier Automata. No shit. They look, they look younger. I did not notice that. <laughs> yeah. Um, in the Japanese version, it's the same exact voice actors too. Uh-huh. I don't know if it's the same as English. If it was the same, then they did a hell of a job changing their voices hmm. to, to sound younger. But um, I know for the Japanese 2B and 9S, it's the same. Uh, They call themselves the administrators of this facility, and you're going through the core just fighting machines and clones of yourself, seemingly just for their amusement. Like, they're telling you about how they're monitoring things and how, you know, replicants are this, uh, you're not strong enough to fight this. Uh, Oh, this is interesting that you you got this far. Mm -hmm. It seems like it's just for their amusement. Um, And... You know, we're not going to make this a three-hour episode, but there's a lot of ambiguity here that I haven't parsed my my way through yet. Still not sure. Yeah, I, I played this, like, I played this section, did not know what the fuck was going on until basically the end. Speaking of not knowing what's going on, as we're fighting several clones of ourselves that the administrators are just toying us with, Emil comes out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. He's got four arms. Hell Yeah. <laughs> congrats Emil (laughs) and like he turns around he blasts the clones out of the way and he helps Kaine up and she kind of like looks at them and then like accepts the hand up and later on she's like why the hell do you have four arms and he's (laughs) like you know it's a long story we don't have time (laughs) I want I want DLC or like a side story just give me like a little five hour game of Emil getting some extra arms I uh how about a five year game of learning Japanese (laughs) so you could read the the story that this came from because uh, I don't know. That's a good point. I'll, I'll go way. check YouTube instead. Yeah. Uh, sayonara konnichiwa. That's that's all you need to know, right? It's a joke. All right. And <laughs> learning. So like, so you, you you fight these clone versions of yourself. Um, I the 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 children 
the robot children, the wire children, they're talking to you this, this whole time. Like, I, I, I'm glad you have notes here about what's going on. Cause I didn't even really try to explain it on my show. Cause I don't know what any of this means. It's so ambiguous. And that's why I heard I, when I had heard at first that this connects it to automata, I thought that it was, um, turns out, and this is through the help of some helpful people on Reddit. I'm just going to read some of this just real quick. Uh, there are actually thousands of years of events between this ending and Automata, including Project Gestalt fails, aliens invade Earth, the army of humanity, composed of androids, fights the aliens, the aliens create machine life forms to fight Emil and the aliens. Emil clones himself, by the way. There's a machine network. Uh, there's there's so much. That I, that was half of it. That was half of this comment. Mm-hmm. There's so much that happens um, that this is not a direct link. This is more of like a... It's gently nudging us to make the connections if we can't read Grimoire Near into seeing how these two worlds are connected rather than just saying, oh, it's thousands of years in the future. Right. Yep. But so I, I kind of had a feeling that this was related to Automata somehow. But then when you go into like the digital world, that was when I was like, oh, this is, you know, okay, same world because I played this before, you know. So where were we here? As we're, so we're going through this tree, um, this facility, and the whole time the administrators are explaining that this is all made up of our memories. Uh, our memories specifically. And um, I, I said through the tree. I meant through the tree and then also through the like digitized world bit. Um, th- they're quick to point out too that they are our memories, but the shades that we're fighting are actually people, like innocent people that we cut down. Mm-hmm. They kind of fuck with us a little bit, to use Kaine's words, by uh, at a certain point they swap out the baby shades, like the regular just grunts for people. Mm-hmm. Um, and the vill- you can hear the villagers from the airy saying, like, you know, you're a freak, you're not one of us. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it is messed up, man. Like, I, what I still don't understand is, and maybe somebody that has a better background of the near lore could, could explain this to me, is why it, it, okay, so if these are predecessors to 2B and 9S, which I think it's, if it's not confirmed, it's, it's like gotta be, pretty darn close to it why would they be being this hostile towards kaine i don't understand that's why um we we kept the conversation moving when you first said that they were a lot like to be in 9s and had the same voice actors but i was over here tisk tisking because i i don't like that if that's the case it feels a little not a little it feels very ham-fisted to make a reference to something that by this point when this remake came out if you're playing this, you probably played Automata because way more people played Automata yeah. than the original. So this feels like ham-fisted fan service to me. I'm I'm glad that you said that because I felt the same way. This I, this is adapted from a story that that was in Grimoire Near, which was written before Automata came out, I think. But it's not like everywhere that I checked, it noted that it was altered. So and I don't know how they altered it. Mm-hmm. So this, I mean. Maybe it didn't have anything to do with 2B and 9S. I just, I, why, knowing knowing what 2B and 9S know and don't know at the beginning of Automata, yeah. 
why would they be being so hostile to Kaine? I just, I, I don't get it. Right. Yeah. I, I saw these just as, you know, twins, um, you know, fucking the shining or something, twins, magical twins that are just, I, I can't even explain what they are. I don't know what's happening here. I'm scared. I mean, it, 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 <laughs> I mean, glory, glory to mankind, right? It could be because Kaine, they believe Kaine to be the one that doomed mankind. Yeah. I mean, that, that maybe, but even that still to me feels a bit flimsy. That would explain why whoever they are is hostile to Kaine. And then there's a link to um, Yorha in Automata, but it does not give any uh, satisfying explanation for why they might be 2B and 9S because 2B and 9S don't know what's going on they're they're grunts basically right so yeah anyway um this sequence after that with kaine when you're basically fighting boss fights and a bunch of shades and um vice shows up to help out this was uh i still playing this no idea what's going on story-wise except she's trying to recover the memory i don't know how but this, um, I think, effectively uh, portrayed how difficult this is to kind of reverse this erasing. We we know that the tree, while well, the tree, the facility, is storing memories. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I read the purpose like in the wiki, but like the actual purpose of the, the facility is to store it as a failsafe, I think, or for like redistribution once the gestalts merge back into the replicants something like that mm-hmm. um, but all these memories are here so it makes sense that she can recover them here i i get that i just I, i'm still not sure why the why the shining twins are are involved at all <laughs> yeah. I, I really don't get it i don't even know like why is vice there is he a memory yeah it's like, not it's clear. very unclear yeah i mean at this point like you're so far in the the digital weirdo world that vice shows up i'm like yeah of course why why not everything else that's happening is really weird so why why not and a reunion of sorts because emil came back now vice comes back and uh, we know what we're working toward i guess and work toward it we do once we defeat hook which is the the twins describe that as our worst memory of all time before unleashing it upon us makes sense um we defeat that they're getting wiped away, the twins are, like as we're getting out of this place, and they're saying possible futures are blending with the time we currently inhabit. Again, no idea what that is hinting towards, um, because everything in this universe, I think, is canon. But once we do that, all of Kaine's memories immediately come back, um, and she gives this little speech. Shut up, shut up, shut up! I already made up my mind. Nobody tells me what to do. I swore I would be a sword. I swore that I would be your sword. Do you hear me? So I am going to get you back, and I don't care what it takes. Who the fuck do you think you are to just up and disappear like that, huh? I'm the one who gets to decide what my life means to me. It's my life, and I'll do whatever I want with it. So quit wasting time like a brainless fuckwit and get your ass back here now! It's very touching you know it's i mean that's just all it is it's it's incredibly touching um she finally remembers near she remembers how much she cared for him 
Like, this is all for him. Of course, she can't let him get away without telling him to, like, you know, quit fucking around. But it's very sweet. The ending scene here. um, And again, if you look at this face value, it's very sweet. A lunar tear blooms up from the ground. It shoots up and it blooms. And when it does bloom, Emil looks in and he sees Kaine holding a young version of Nier. Like, he is nude. He is uh, being cradled by Kaine. This is as explicit a birth scene as you could possibly have. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all know what flowers represent. We've seen Georgia O'Keeffe. Nier <laughs> is nude. He's being cradled by a motherly figure. Mm-hmm. Like, this is apparent. Um, so you might be thinking, well, it's hope. Well, I mean, Shadow Lord's gone. So humanity is still doomed. Uh at the very minimum, I mean, you could maybe this near is human, but Kaine is a replicant. The shades are still out there relapsing. Everybody's still a replicant. Everybody's still going to die. Mm-hmm. So the fact that this ending is so cheery kind of gives me the heebie-jeebies a little bit, you know? Like, it made me feel good when I first saw it, and then I was like, oh, oh, no. Yeah. This and so this is what I said. We're gonna put a, a ribbon on top of all the the bad stuff from ending C and D, right? How that's a unsatisfying bad ending. This is too. And I I like this one even more because I think subconsciously we think they put a new ending into this game. Um and it's going to you start playing it and you realize it's gonna to relate to trying to bring near back. And so subconsciously, I think happy ending it's now is the chance for the happy ending and it's not again. And I love it again. And I love it like maybe not as much as C and D, but I, I really, really appreciate how they are committed to the fact that there is no happy ending here to be had. And so, like you said, um, what's done is done, but you can keep playing after this, like after this ending, you can run around, you can do stuff, you can do side quests, you can go kill stuff. I don't know if you can advance the story, but you can keep going. Um, actually like video game things. Yeah. I, yeah. Like you can run around and, um, I think you can advance the story even because you load up your file, your save data and you're back in like root D or something like that. I think. This ending does restore all of your previously lost data. Yeah. That is true. So if I'm understanding that right, what you've actually done is just set yourself up on this cycle of unhappiness. Because if you keep playing, you're just going to get to this point again. There's there's never going to be a happy ending. You can keep playing if you want to, but nothing there. And at a certain point, it's like the, the only way to get the happy ending is to not play it. Yeah. And I love it. That's oh man, that's that's the that's a big theme for an ending of another game, and I can't think of it. But um, one thing that I'm a little confused on still, there's a lot in ending E that I'm confused on. Like I think I have a pretty good read on everything else, but ending E, like I'm I'm a little I'm struggling. Mm-hmm. What does the lunar tear represent in Nier Automata? Where do we see the lunar tear? We see it with Yona. We see it as a wreath with Kaine. It represents a sort of hope, right? It represents life in a certain way. It represents hope. It represents positive emotions. And when we see it bloom out of the ground here at the end in, in this birth scene, 
that's that's at direct odds with the message of of the game and with the reality of the game. What with Shadow Lord being gone, mm-hmm. what I also know though is that the Lunar Tear is present. I believe in Dragon Guard One, but heavily in Dragon Guard Three. Uh, Dragon Guard Dragon Guard Three is before all of that. Hmm. It is before Automata Replicant Dragon Guard One. As I think it's before it all. Um, so I'm wondering if playing through that on PS3 would help this reading at all because I know it's an important symbol. It is highlighted at the end as a very important symbol, but hell if I can't get a read on it because it seems to be conflicting with, with the ending. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure about the, um, the symbolism with the lunar tear here at the end, but I agree earlier in the game, it's, it's, it's one of the only symbols of hope um, and of, you know, positive memories for Kaine and stuff like that. Um, I don't know which quote you just cut into the episode before <laughs> before we um, got on this talk of the ending cutscene. Weren't you listening, Dave? <laughs> Didn't you hear it? Are you accusing me of editing my podcast? I sure hope you edit your podcast, sir. <laughs> um, but I wrote this quote down too, because this seems like the only happy thing that you can take away from the ending is the quote that uh, even though our journey was meaningless, even if we make mistakes, even if the world ends, we journey with the people we cherish. And it's the the theme of friendship and the importance of friendship. And the, they're, Kaine's, Kaine says that, uh, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So she, that, that, is, that is the end of what I spliced in. Okay, good. So I just said it again. Um, you can, <laughs> listeners, let Rick know whose voice acting you prefer, Kaine's or mine. <laughs> um, so... That to me was, I'm taking away the hopelessness of the situation. The characters are living on with the the JRPG knowledge that through friendship, you know, maybe not everything is possible in this game, but the fact that we have each other gives us something to live for when it's clear that everything else in the world, there is really nothing to live for anymore. But they they at least have each other, which seems like like you we've been talking about you've brought it up several times. One of the key things that they wanted to focus on in this story, and you know that that jives with the lunar tear as a symbol, right? It jives with Yoko Taro setting out to make friendship a key theme. I I'm starting to wonder because like I I firmly believe that these symbols and themes are intentional and apparent. I don't think it's a misread. I'm wondering if I'm misinterpreting the ending and if I um like if if humanity isn't doomed, if there's more to it that I just don't know. Um and with Taro games, it's entirely possible there's one story in near grimoire, grimoire near that tells you that no, actually humanity's not doomed. Um hmm. I think if we played Automata, we might have a better read on that, but Yeah. <laughs> um it's you know, I I I don't know, man. I this ending, I it's puzzled me ever since I first got it. It's it it might just be that the lunar tear has always been a symbol of hope and at the end it still is a symbol of hope, but not for you the player and not for the world, just for this group of characters. Because That's true too. They have this That's a good point. They have this realization here that you know, we journey with the people we cherish. Uh, that's the most important thing. So they have something to be hopeful about, even though we, as the player, we know better that there's no there's no happy ending coming. 
So maybe that's it. That's a good point. I didn't think of it that way. You know, I, we talk all the time about things the player knows that the characters don't know um, and vice versa. So, I mean, maybe maybe symbols can act in that way too. Yeah, I mean, it's been a symbol for them as a positive symbol for them as well throughout the game. You know, we associate it the same way because we're taking in the story as we go. But now we're in this position where we know so much more than the characters do. It still means the same thing to them. Ooh. What a game. <laughs> what a game. I yes. I still firmly love this game. I I personally like it more than Automata. Um the the arguments pro replicant. It's largely in the characters and the writing of the characters and the world building to a lesser extent, but it's a really special game. They both are near replicant and near automata. Uh, and I think we can both say we highly recommend you play both of them. They're masterpieces. Oh yeah. Yeah. If you're, if you're at the end of this episode and you're listening and you're thinking, Hey, maybe I should try out that near automata. I highly recommend you do. And, um, not to, I, I'm not going to get into a compare and contrast between the two games, but I do agree that this game put the focus on friendship and a character group and they pulled it off. Like they nailed it in this game. And I think that Automata is focusing on different things. And I think it does that really, really well too. But the group of Nier and Vice and Kaine and Emil is a special uh, video game group. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, they are both terrific games. Hi, again, highly recommend you play both of them. There's something for all types of video game enjoyers in both, whether you are into the combat, the lore, the world building, the side quests, the grinding, whatever. It's all there. Um, this is a terrific series. You can play them in whatever order, although Replicant is technically first. You don't need all of the extra lore. You don't need it. You, it's there if you want to explore it, but it's a very special series, and um, if hearing six hours from this show wasn't <laughs> enough, you can check out both the Replicant and Automata episodes from Dave's show, which I am now going to pivot to let him talk about a little bit. Thank you, man. Yeah. Um, so my show's Tales from the Backlog. Again, I do video game reviews, uh, not unlike Pixel Project Radio, but my I don't do the full story walkthrough on my show. My show's more focused on uh, deep diving mechanics and systems and we talk about story and music and stuff too uh, we just don't do the full story breakdown for most games um, and on my show i break it into a as deep a dive as we can do with no spoilers and then there's a spoiler wall you can check every show's uh, show notes for timestamps. so if you haven't played the game you can listen to a sizable chunk of every episode and then just tap out at the spoiler wall and then after that we do the discussions about all the spoilers that need to be discussed. Uh, so if you're listening to this, um, I, I think you're listening because you enjoy Rick and what he does, and Ben too, of course. And um, Rick has been a guest on my show many times and will continue to be a guest uh, many times. So if you want a good place to start, we talked about Yakuza Like a Dragon. We talked about 13 Sentinels. We talked about Disco Elysium. I'm probably forgetting another one. It's been, you've been on the show lots of times. Uh, so um, I appreciate you, man. And I appreciate you inviting me to come on and talk about near for, yeah, six hours. <laughs> Th 
Thanks, man. I, I highly recommend Dave's show as well. I, I've said it before. I'll say it again. It's it's one of the best indie podcasting shows out there. Uh, highly recommend you check it out. I always do. Um, Final Fantasy IX was the other one. That's the right. Way. The most yeah. recent one, too. <laughs> yes. Of all the ones to forget is the one that was literally like three weeks ago. <laughs> yes. And of course, you will all hear Dave again. He's he's essentially a rotating permanent co-host. Uh, permanent rotating co-host. Adjectives. You know how they work. <laughs> um, so you'll hear him again. I, you could check out his podcast if you'd like. Uh, I always, whenever I, I go to recommend an episode, uh, it's always on the tip of my tongue uh, because there are so many good ones. Uh, a, one of the first that I ever heard... Uh, well, that's not technically true because I listened to the first episode, but, uh, Florence is a good one. Oh yeah. Rocket League was the first one. Yes. Uh, if you're interested in hearing that. An, <laughs> a non-traditional episode for a game that has no spoilers. Persona 5 covered it. Uh, Metal Gear Solid covered it. There's a lot of good stuff over there. Mm-hmm. You can check out those links in the show notes. You'll find a link tree or otherwise uh, links to get you to where you need to be. As for us, you know the deal. We're on all the socials, Twitter, Instagram, and Discord. You can find those links in the show notes. Please join uh, the Discord, by the way. It is free, and it is fun. Free and fun. You can do both, all in the Discord. It's a good time. You can. It is a good time. It's a lot of fun. You can also join the Patreon if you're so inclined. That's patreon.com slash pixelprojectradio. There are a handful of folks that are nice enough to give us a couple bucks a month so we can keep doing what we're doing. And as a thank you, those folks get special benefits like early schedules, uh, voting privileges, which, by the way, we've got a lot of shows coming up in the future of uh, patron that are patron decided. So stay tuned, including a topic from Dave. And I don't think he knows that yet, but stay tuned for that. (laughs) Um, And, you know, you get bonus episodes, too, which is the fun part. So. You can do all that, patreon.com slash pixelprojectradio. Uh, you can also leave a rating and review for the show. We will see those on Spotify, but we can't read them because there's no reviews. And Apple Podcast and Podcast Addict. I will read every single one that gets put in, assuming it is not an obvious troll. Uh, we would prefer five stars, but of course, you know, do what your heart tells you. And it helps us too. I think that helps visibility. I think that's how that works. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. It's two years and I don't know how it works still. Reviews are good. No reviews are not good. You want to help Rick be good, don't you? Leave a review. And join the Patreon. The Patreon's a good time. You get to listen to Rick talk about Tokyo Jungle. That's true. That is <laughs> true. And I think I think in that episode in particular, uh, this has been bugging me ever since I released it, I worded something in a way that made it sound like uh, I didn't know that Shibuya was a part of Tokyo. I want to be clear. I do know that that's a part <laughs> of Tokyo. Uh, but the way I said it... Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe I was just off that day. Just, but doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. You could join the Patreon. It's fine. You don't have to listen to that one. You can listen to more. Uh, <laughs> more come out all the time. It's a lot of fun. Um, that's all the plugging for me for this time. Check out Dave's show in the show notes. Check out our socials and etc. in the show notes as well. This has been an incredible series to go down. This is one of my favorite games. And I couldn't have had a better guest. So, once again, Dave... Thank you, thank you for joining. And listeners, thank you, thank you for listening. For the time being, you know me. I'm Rick Firestone. We're going to be signing off for today. We'll see you next time. Thanks for stopping by.